Hey everybody, welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Going solo for this opening as Tim is not with me, which is unfortunate given that today's episode is our 2023-2024 season preview show. And this episode is going to be all about the American teams in the Atlantic Division. And I'm very excited to have some returning voices to this episode, as well as two new voices representing the Boston Bruins and the Buffalo Sabres. Now, I'm going to keep this opening very simple and very short, because we've got a hell of an episode ahead of you. Jam-packed, some great voices, and we're going to kick it off the way we always do, with the Eastern Conference champion Florida Panthers, represented by that Solar Bear fan, Mr. Sean Hill. the American portion of our season preview show representing the Eastern Conference champion Florida Panthers is the man behind the Tech Talk account that Solar Bears fan please welcome back to the show John Hill John how's it going welcome back to the show uh, it's going great man I mean uh, I wish the uh, finals would have had a little bit of a different ending but uh, I enjoyed the ride all of the, of the, the less I never thought they would have gotten as far as they did last year uh, beating Boston in the first round was just you know, I was fine after that point if we would have lost to Toronto in the second round. But uh, getting to go all the way to the finals was a lot of fun. And uh, uh, Vegas was just a better team. And, you know, uh, I think the Panthers ran into some injuries as well. And then just, you know, the magic finally ran out at the end. So, yeah. Now, you did mention the finals run. I know you got a chance to see, I believe it was game three live. Four. So game, four. Game, game four. Game four. So talk a little bit about what that experience was like in that arena. So the Panthers got down early in the game, like going into the game, it was like an absolute crazy scene because like it was two one, like the Penguin or the Panthers had just won game three going, in, uh, going into game four. So everyone was like, okay, well, we're going to do it again. We're going to be the comeback cats again. We're going to do this. And everyone was just having a great time. I remember if I remember correctly, Vegas scored like two goals early and made it like two nothing. So the building was pretty dead when that happened. And then it was, I think Vegas scored again to make it three, nothing. I hope your listeners don't take me too serious because I'm not having the best memory skills right now. Uh, but then I remember the Panthers scored like a fluky goal to make it three to one. And then I think we came into the third period and made it three to two. And then it was like, everyone started to get that belief back. So like the whole third period, the building was just rocking with the Panthers having an older arena. It's like the fans are sitting right on top of the ice it's just so much fun in that arena and you could tell that the, that we thought we had a shot. And then I think Matthew Kachuk had a chance with like five seconds left. And I think he just like, we found out later he had a broken sternum and like, he just couldn't raise the puck. If you could have raised the puck, it could have been two, two um, going in, like maybe having a chance to win game five, but you know, it just, you know, it didn't end up, but I, game four was one of my favorite hockey games I've ever been to. So it was a lot of fun. Like, as I know that you get a chance to watch some of the Penguin Cup runs in the late 2000s, like, where would that rank among those two teams? 
I think the Panthers was just such a Cinderella like run. I got to go in 2008 because I used to live back in Pittsburgh when the uh, Penguins played the Red Wings the first time. And I got to see the only win they had at home in that series in game three. And that was, I would put like that at number one. And then the Panthers um, probably at number two in like games I've attended in my life. Um, It's just crazy how every crowd like turns it up when it's like the playoffs and they know that, you know, your city has a chance to, you know, maybe win the Stanley cup. And it's just, I couldn't even imagine with like a Canadian city, like you guys, like how crazy the building would be if like, I mean, you guys played with the, you guys had the ducks back. Was that 2005? Was that the finals? Yeah. Like I couldn't imagine how crazy that had to be for you guys, especially with how like cup crazy it feels like Canada is at this point, since you guys haven't won since like 93. Yeah, well, even being on the West Coast, like I remember when the Canucks were in the finals in 2011, just how over the top that was for the Canucks fans out here. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the playoff run for the Panthers here in a few minutes, but I do want to ask about what you've been up to since your last appearance, because as some of our listeners know, you came on for our Detroit Bowl. Yeah, (laughs) I haven't really done too much. Joined a new men's league down here, so I've been having fun with that. I had COVID last week and just been watching a lot of football here recently because uh, that started back up. But uh, yeah, the uh, af- after we talked, the Matthew, like the big game happened between Ottawa and uh, Florida where they were just brawling. It felt like the entire game. And I think it was DeBrinket was yelling at the Panthers and Matthew was yelling back at him and everything else. And that was a heck of a game to watch. That that uh, kind of put the Panthers, I feel like, into another level. That and the um, – uh, shoot the Toronto game. I think that was either in March or February where um, Matthew's dad came out and basically called him a bunch of, you know, yeah, I don't want to say it. So, you know what I mean? But yeah, I think those kind of games really gave the Panthers uh, what they needed to have that extra zip coming into the uh, playoffs last year. It is funny because you did mention like the big fight between Florida and Ottawa. And I'm thinking about the because I'm just, well, especially with the comments he made the last couple of days where he just openly stated, yeah, I'll admit I gave up on certain plays. And I'm like, oh, so that fight's the one thing you didn't give up on? Yeah, he seems like uh, I, I think you guys getting rid of him might have been a good thing for you. Dabrinkit's one of those guys that somebody has to drive the offense for him. And if nobody can drive the offense, he's not that um, as skilled as what people make him out to be. I think you guys will have um what is it? Z- oh, shoot, what's it? who did you guys get back for him again? I believe we got Kubalik. Kubalik, that's the one. Yeah, I think he'll be a solid player for you guys. I know he's more of a power play specialist, but I think he could definitely um get put some points on the board for you guys. And you guys have really improved um compared to like the last time we talked, I feel like, especially in like goaltending and everything else. So should be a decent year for you guys. I mean, the Atlantic's just absolutely stacked. And then you've got Tampa finding out today that Vasilevsky is going to be down for two months. And it's just, this is going to be the craziest division to predict. I see people on TikTok and everywhere else trying to predict this division. And I'm just like, I'm not even touching this with a 10 foot pole because I don't need people coming back and being like, look how wrong you were. And I'm just like, I'm just going to avoid that and uh, let everyone else guess. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, the Atlantic is such a hard division where as a few years ago, it was so easy to just be like, yeah, these four teams and then everybody else. But now with Ottawa getting better, Buffalo has really come out of nowhere to be as good as they are. Detroit just seems more like a wild card to me just because they're very inconsistent. So yeah, 
if to break it works out for them cool but if it doesn't that that's a big contract you're gonna they're gonna have to eat there yeah, uh, with Detroit, they've got a lot of, I don't know, just a lot of question marks, I guess. It seems like they're kind of rebranding from what they thought they were last year. If they could get on like a hot start at the beginning of the year, they might be able to do something. But, I mean, you guys got better. Buffalo got better. The only two teams that I've really seen in our division that have kind of not gotten better were um, Boston. Boston obviously losing Krejci and Bergeron. That's a big blow to them. And losing Taylor Hall to Chicago and everything like that, and Bertuzzi and Orlov, I think. But the sad part is they could lose twenty less games and probably still have a chance of making the playoffs after the way they played last year. And then you got Tampa, which I saw Tampa's lines today, and without Vasilevsky, it could be a battle for them just to get into the playoffs. It feels like the Atlantic Division is just going to be a battle throughout like this whole season. And and the Panthers even got better adding guys like Oliver Ekman Larson. I know he's more of a reclamation project with what happened in Vancouver, but you know, I was watching the preseason game earlier this week and he looks really good and really reinvigorated. Like he had three assists in the first preseason game he played in. And um Spencer Knight looks really re- reinvigorated after coming back from um his OCD. Um, issues that he's taking care of. Evan Rodriguez is going to be another good player for the Panthers. It's just every team got better and there's only so many spots to get into the playoffs. So I, I feel like the Atlantic's going to be a dogfight this year. It's going to be a great year of hockey in our division. And speaking about the Florida Panthers, I mean, given the year they had last year where, I mean, who would have predicted that they would have gone as far as they did? And coming into the season with everything you just said, like what kind of expectations should the fan base have for them? I think I want to say like, I feel like we'll be better Um, because last year we kind of like, like we only got in with one by one point with a, you know, everyone always talks about the the Chicago game against Pittsburgh um, where Chicago was able to beat the Penguins and then the Panthers got in. But at the same time, like, I feel like the Panthers got better. I still see them because like, I feel like Toronto's got a really good team as well. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to play though. Like, I just feel like it's a hodgepodge of a lot of things. And we'll see if maybe they can come together. Um, I feel like Buffalo is going to be really good. But I feel like you guys got a chance too. Like I could really see us between like maybe the third to fifth slot somewhere in there. Um, but it's anyone's guess. Like I said, adding guys like Oliver Ekman Larson and stuff like that really helps out, especially on the power play with losing Ekblad and Montour until November. Um, so we're going to see, and then we got Bob as well. If he can, you know, stay like what he was last year in the playoffs, that would be amazing. But at the same time, they've got Spencer Knight who in the few preseason games he's already played in has looked really good. So it's going to be, I feel like, I feel like they've got a really solid team. Matthew Kachuk, if he can play just like he did last year, I mean, it makes it, it makes it a great team Barkov. I mean, every year I feel like I'm saying the same things about the Panthers and it just, they they lost a couple guys with Gudis and a few others, but it does it wasn't anything that was like that killed the team. Like we lost Duclair to the Sharks, guys like that, but it wasn't anything too heavy. I feel like. Yeah, well, even the Matthew DeChuck trade last year. I mean, the cojones that the Panthers had to make that deal, giving away Huberdo and Mackenzie Weger, and then Matthew DeChuck turns around and goes from being a star to an absolute superstar who willed his team to the finals last year. Now coming into the season, given that he is coming off very serious injuries during the playoffs, what expectations should the player for, should the fans have for him? 
I think with us acquiring Evan Rodriguez as well um, in the offseason, that kind of lightens the load a little bit uh, for Matthew. Like, I think Matthew had around 105 points last year. Now it's crazy to say that you think a player is going to get 100 points every single year, even if they are in their prime. But I think Matthew's slated between like 80 and 100 points, and I think fans would be happy with that. Um, him, the the line of him, Sam Bennett, and um, Cousins last year really um, – kind of torched the playoffs, especially Toronto in the second round. And then in the third round against Carolina, um, winning those overtime games and everything else, there was just a line to be reckoned with. So and it seems like the Panthers are going to start off with uh, Sam Bennett, Cousins, and Kachuk again on the second line. So it'll be interesting to see, um, especially with, like you said, Matthew coming off this broken sternum and everything like that. He seems fine. Um, he's not showing any signs, but we'll see if that changes once the regular season comes around and everything kind of changes a little bit from the preseason. Well, when all those injuries came out about what happened with Matthew in the playoffs, as a Panthers fan, like, were you reading this stuff going like, I don't know like what kind of shape this guy's going to be in coming into this season? Well, being at game four was kind of like a wake-up call because just sitting there and watching him play with a broken sternum, like you could tell something was wrong. Like he wasn't playing the same, like he didn't have that same grit that he had the entire playoffs. And it's scary when you see a guy like that, who's so effective, just like get rendered almost, you know, useless. Like they were saying, and before game four, his brother Brady was waking him up and like dressing him before the finals game and like really helping his brother out being able to play in game four. And it's absolutely crazy that he went out there with a broken sternum and played like, I play adult league and if like my, my stomach hurts, I don't go, but like Matthew could check out a broken sternum and playing in a Stanley cup final game. Absolutely crazy. And you just, the, my biggest thing was after we found out that he had the broken sternum, I was like, Oh my God, like that's the future right there. Like somebody, as much as he wanted to play, needed to sit him down and just be like, listen, man, like this isn't worth it. Like you're, you've got a long career ahead of you. At least we got plenty of shots at this. Like, I know that the Stanley Cup doesn't come around every year, but I give him so much credit for going out there and trying to play. And it is scary, but we'll see how he does this year. Well, do you think the fact that his dad never got a chance to play in the final is maybe a reason why he kept playing? Yeah, I think that was a big reason. I think he kind of sat down with him once the finals had started and was like, listen, you know, I never got a shot at this. And I think once, you know, if Brady gets to the point that he's in the finals, he'll probably have the same conversation with him, you know, like, these guys like especially like you said but their dad never getting there like that's probably something he's regretted his whole life and like he's probably really instilled it in them when you get a chance for it go for it and i i give matthew credit all the credit uh matthew chuck all the credit in the world for the way he played in the playoffs last year if it wasn't for him we don't beat boston we don't beat anybody in the playoffs if we don't have matthew chuck no, it's really amazing. I mean, there is an argument could be made that Matthew could have been the Smith winner last year, while a lot of votes would have gone to Sergey Bobrovsky. And talking about him, I mean, I have, I've been watching hockey my entire life. I don't think I've ever seen a goalie who went from being on the fringes of like, okay, are we maybe going to have to buy this guy out to not only going back to his peak, but going further. Yeah. Yeah, to see the difference, like, uh, I think everything changed for Bobrovsky. And um, I think it was game, was it game five for the, when in the Boston series? Because in game four, he kind of got lit up. And then he made the save on Marchant 
um, before uh, to get us into overtime in game five. And that's felt almost felt like that's where like the light switch clicked. And he was like, okay. And I think another thing that he's never really had since he's came to Florida is a coach that believed in him. Um, Paul Maurice started off the playoffs with Alex Lyon and net because Alex Lyon obviously was the story at the time, you know, he was the hot goalie. And after the one bad game of game three, Maurice looked at him and goes, no, you're going again. Like, come on, like you're going in game four. And he went in game four. He didn't do good in that one either. They're like, all right, well, you're going to go again. You're going in game five. And he finally, like, I think that's when he started to believe in himself again. And then he, we went on that crazy run. And I think the biggest thing that killed the Panthers was that long layoff between the Eastern Conference Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals. I think it was 12 days or something crazy like that. To, it like almost felt like for me as a fan, like we were in the offseason because it was such a long break in between that like I think there was a chance that if like Vegas had beaten Dallas in game five, that there was a chance that they were going to start it earlier. If that, I feel like if that would have happened, it may have been a different series. But I think the Panthers just had a tough time pulling themselves back out. And Bob was just an absolute amazing, and like you said, uh, a guy that almost, you know, people were talking about buying out. And then just out of nowhere, just the light switch flipped. And he became like the, the Bob Rofsky that took out the lightning a few years ago. Yeah, well, not even just that, but he went to another level of play that nobody thought he had. No, I, it's absolutely crazy to see what Bob can do. Um, I think he's only got a few years left on that contract now, so it's going to be interesting to see what the Panthers do with that, especially with guys like Spencer Knight waiting in the wings to kind of take the job. Um, I think if Spencer has a good year, I think they might, you know, let Bob, you know, take a little bit more rest in the uh, regular season. Maybe that way, if we do get back to the playoffs, he can take it back over if he wants and, you know, play like he did last year. It's something crazy I've never seen. I think it's a se- the only other thing I've ever seen crazy were, or was the Mighty Ducks with Sean Sebastian Chiguer when he let in like under a goal a game. It was something stupid. And, and that's the only time I've ever seen. Like every time the other team came down the ice and Bob was in the playoffs, you just automatically thought it was going to be a save. When it was a goal, it shocked you. I think it was game five against the uh, Maple Leafs. He let in a bad one against Nylander. And, like, it actually shocked me that it went in the net. I was like, whoa. Like, like I didn't expect that after he – but after that, he locked it down again. It was just – it was crazy to see how, like you said, like the light switch was just – he was a different goalie. And um, hopefully he's able to keep that up. Well, even with Paul Maurice having his faith in Bobrovsky, like how do you see the Panthers handling both him and Spencer Knight? Do you see it as a duo? Do you see him play maybe half and half? Like how do you see this happening? I see it like almost like a 1A, 1B um, until you find like the hot guy. I know they've had Spencer. Spencer's had these issues with OCD. He came out since he's been at Boston College. Um, And I feel like, he's able to control that now and somebody with OCD, I can't even imagine how debilitating that had to be. Like he said, he wasn't sleeping at night and everything else. Like it, it was getting the, the best of him and everything else. And uh, I definitely going to be a tandem type thing. I think this year, I think the Panthers want to use the last few years of Bobrovsky's contract and try to, you know, everything that he wants to teach Spencer Knight, try to get it into him and, Maybe have Bob, if he wants to, you know, take a year, a couple year deal where he's just able to be the backup dispenser. 
but we'll see what happens here in the long term. But I think right now it's going to be like a 1A, 1B type situation. Now, coming into this season, the Florida Panthers will be celebrating their 30th anniversary. And I know I read a little bit about this coming season. I know they got a few games or theme games or whatever. Like, from as a Panthers fan, like, what have you heard or what have you read regarding what they have planned for this anniversary? So the first thing they did was they released the 30th anniversary logo, which was a mix of like the logo they have now, which is the one I'm wearing and the jumping cat logo. Um, So the jumping cat logo is the one they had when they originally entered the league and they kind of made some changes to it. I don't know immediately everything offhand they did, uh, but they made some changes to it to like, you know, announce the 30th year. There's rumors of a Jersey coming, but I haven't heard any very much about it. The number one thing that happened was the naming rights went over to Amrit Bank and the arena is getting a bunch of new improvements. Um, They've improved the sound system. They've improved basically everything in the stadium with anybody that's been to the Panther Stadium. It's an older stadium and it really needed some improvements. And I think with the 30th anniversary, it's going to be really fun this year to see what they're doing with it all. Like you said, they're doing a lot of theme nights, a lot of promotional nights with it and bringing back some of the old players, especially from the 96 run. So it'll be interesting to see what all they do. The Panthers have always been really good at uh, um, bringing back old players and putting them in the community and stuff like that. And guys that the, you know, people of South beach and uh, Broadward County remember and everything like that. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, But yeah, I think it'll be a really fun year of hockey, especially celebrating the 30th year. I really hope there's a Jersey because I'm a Jersey nut, but we'll see what they end up doing. Do you think that we possibly see some Jersey retirements, whether it be a Luongo or Bure, players like that? I want to say, I think Luongo's Jersey is already retired. Yeah. His Jersey's already in the rafters. Um, I could see a guy like Bure, maybe if he would want to come, I would love to have Yager, even though he was only with the team, I think for like a year and a half. Um, but I think that would be one that would be super duper cool. Um, but there's a few guys on like the 96 team they could bring in maybe like a Scott Mellingby or a John Van Beesbrook or somebody like that. They would probably love to have their Jersey number retired. But like I said, I feel like they haven't really announced too much with it. And uh, hopefully they'll come up with a few ideas here because their social media seems really good. I mean, last year during the playoffs, it was uh, who was coming up with the better graphics like half the time with with uh, Panther fans and whoever we were playing. It was just constantly who had the better graphics and stuff like that. So I, I have full trust in their social people. So I think it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. And I did have to look that up in yes, Luongo's numbers is in the Raptors. I don't know how I didn't remember that, but that's not really the point. I know that with NHL teams, they try to do stuff on social media. I don't know if you, they've contacted you about doing stuff with the Panthers or if they contacted any other social media people to do stuff for the 30th anniversary, but that'd be cool if they did. Yeah. I actually reached out and tried to apply for a job they had this year. I didn't uh, get a call back on it, but you know, I figured why not throw my hat in there. Um, They have a lot of social media influencers that are down here from the South Florida area that they bring to the games all the time. Um, So I think it's more of um, like bringing in the guys from like the Dolphins and the Marlins and stuff like that, that they like to do in the Miami heat last year when they went on their run at the same time as the Panthers. It was just absolutely crazy in South Florida last year. I mean, could you imagine the troll job that the Panthers could do if they bring the Avalanche to town and they bring in the Miami Dolphin players? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I watched that. I couldn't actually believe that they put up 70 points. That was absolutely crazy. Um, McDaniels is an absolute madman. That's for sure. What did he, what happened to that guy as a ball boy in Denver that that came? Well, so I found like, I, I heard this story, like apparently when the Broncos job came open, not Sean Payton, but the guy before McDaniels was a um, offensive coordinator for San Francisco and he really wanted the job in Denver. And they basically were just like, get away from us. Like, we don't even want to interview you. And that was his favorite team because obviously, like you said, he was the ball boy for him at one point. And apparently this was the first time that the Dolphins got to play the Broncos. And uh, that's kind of why I think McDaniels had a little bit of extra juice for uh, the Dolphins on that night for sure. Oh, my God. It was ridiculous. Like, I was sitting here watching some of the games on Sunday, and I saw that ticker come up. It says 70 <laughs> to 20, and I was like, excuse me? I think somebody hit the wrong button. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good Lord. So, John, I've really had a good time chatting with you about the Florida Panthers, and I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to do this. Now, before I let you go, where can our listeners find you on social media, and where can they find your TikTok? Uh, so on my TikTok, uh, look up that solar bear fan. Like it's like a picture of palm trees and like a couple different uh, sports team logos. Um, I'm also on um, Twitter under that solar bear fan. Instagram, I don't really use Instagram. I'm like the old man that doesn't really understand what he's doing on Instagram, but I'm on there. Uh, that solar bear fan as well. Um, I don't really post much on there. I post more on Twitter and TikTok more than anything else. And um, there's going to be plenty of content coming for the Panthers here over the next few weeks. It's just been uh, this this uh, last little bit of off season has been uh, kind of hard for content creating. God bless you for doing a podcast during the middle of the off season. I couldn't imagine doing it. It's uh, sometimes the rain runs dry with content ideas. That's for sure. Well, it's funny because I look back even during COVID when we didn't have hockey, the amount of content we actually did produce. I was going through that today. I'm like, how many episodes did we do? And I'm like, oh my God, like for four months straight, we had at least one episode a week. It was like, God bless you, man. God bless you. Sometimes my brain just, it like I go like a week without an idea and it's just like, and then like it clicks. And then all of a sudden I got five, six ideas right off the hop. So it just depends on how my brain works that day. Now, one final question, and I'm asking everybody who are doing these segments with us, at the end of the 2023-24 NHL season, and I think you've already answered this question because you said between three and four, where do you see the Florida Panthers finishing this season? Um, I'm going to give them the three spot in the Atlantic division. Um, kind of put us right back in the hunt for the playoffs, and that's all you got to do. After last year, we kind of saw that, um, that all you have to do is just get in the dance. And once you get in the dance, it doesn't, um, magic things can happen. Carter Verhage scores a game seven winner. Now, I got to ask the all-important question. Say in April 2024, Florida-Ottawa round one, are you coming back on the podcast? Uh, absolutely. Oh, I wanted to tell you this. I forgot to tell you this. Um, I'm actually going to be coming to Ottawa uh, at the end of, at the beginning of April when the Panthers play. Um, they're doing a road trip. It's Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa. So I'm going to be uh, up in Ottawa to go watch the Panthers play. So, Oh, buddy, you're going to have a heck of a time up in Ottawa. <laughs> and especially, oh, believe me, if you go into Montreal, there's some great places there to see. And Everyone keeps ranting and raving about Montreal to me. And I got a lot of friends in Toronto, too, that want to, you know, show me around there, too. So it should be a good time. Actually, one city I've heard is great, Quebec City. 
Okay. We might have to hop over there because we have a day in between the Montreal and the Ottawa game. So. Staff runner for Bolts by the Bay and a returning guest to the show. Please welcome back to the show, Noah Wilson. Noah, how's it going, man? Welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's going pretty well. It's been, you know, some fun. It's been, I can't believe it's been a year already since the last one. It really doesn't feel like it. Right? I mean, it really crazy to think because I was thinking about this the other day when you and I were talking and I was like, man, it's already been a year since I had him on the show last. I know. I think this last season went by really quick. I, I don't know why, but yeah, very quick. Very quick. Now, no, I'm very excited to have you back on the show, not only because this is your second appearance on the program, but I feel that we need to get a little bit of an update on what you've been up to with Bolts by the Bay. Yeah, so this last season, I wasn't as active with getting articles out because I switched jobs, which kind of ate into my time a little bit. Then I got promoted in my job to a management role. And that kind of kind of slowed everything down for a little bit. I was hoping to be able to get more done, but I found a way to make more time to do it. So I'm hoping to start being more active with it. I got a, I got quite a few articles out last season, but yeah, I definitely slowed down when playoffs hit. I think my last article is actually before the playoffs started. So Outside of Bolts by the Bay, you also have your podcast, correct? Are you still active with that, or is that still... Not very active with that anymore. Um, Again, it was more of a time thing, so I haven't actually touched that in a while. But, you know, with so much going on, you know, work, I moved to a new place, into an actual house. So, yeah, I've been kind of slow with all that. So, no, let's talk a little bit about Tampa Bay Lightning because this past season, again, it was the standard Lightning season. Really good start. Players were doing well, made the playoffs. The only difference between last season and season previous is that there was no deep playoff run. Now, we don't need to talk about it. Apparently, certain fan bases were happy about it. We don't need to talk about it. But I am more curious to know, given that the Lightning didn't have that deep playoff run, like what kind of expectation should the fans have for the Lightning this year? I think the same as before. Um, playoffs. Like, that's what you should expect. However, I'm a little bit worried about other teams in the Atlantic because Buffalo got stronger, Ottawa got a bit stronger, and Detroit. But I'm not too worried about Detroit, to be honest. I think they're still kind of in a rough patch. Um, the Iser plan's kind of gone a bit sideways and while i still believe in the eyes plan it's not going too well right now <laughs> but yeah no playoffs um i think people should expect a deep playoff run this time though you know at least going to at least making it past the first round because i don't think that they'll face toronto in the first round because it's either going to be tampa or toronto that's the first place team because boston i don't think boston's gonna i mean i could see them missing the playoffs if things don't go right I mean, losing the best two-way forward in the game and David Krejci is a tough one. And old Marcus bound to 
slow down. Same with Swayman. But I would expect second round. It could be a year where the Lightning lose in the second round for the first time since God, it's been a long time. I think it's been over 20 years. But yeah, I don't know about cup chances because there are so many good teams this year. And I know people find it blasphemous to say that Toronto could win a cup, but Toronto could win a cup. I mean, it's just how it is. Nobody thought Vegas would win this year and they won. So yeah, I'm, I would expect playoffs, hopefully a deep playoff run, but if not, then I think if there is no deep playoff run this year, I think it's possible that retool does happen. And I know again, fans don't like hearing that, but it's an aging team. Hedman really took a, it was a bad year for Hedman and Without Hedman playing at his best, Sergachev can't carry all that weight. Sergachev's still young. He's 25 now, 26. It's it's a lot for a young player who's now getting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love the fact that when you talk about the Leafs winning a cup, you use the word could, not will. Yeah, no, I'll never say will. Because <laughs> we have seen teams that just, you know, they don't do well in the playoffs when they do well in the regular season you know just like tampa in 2019 boston in 2023 and even florida in the second round in 2022 because florida dominated against washington for a while there and then just got dismantled by tampa Mm -hmm. it's very rare that the team that people think are going to win wins the only case of that was 2022 because people knew the colorado avalanche were going to be the favorites to win the cup and they actually won which was not a surprise no especially the way they were dismantling teams in the playoffs that year it was surgical colorado just reminded me not not as much as the 2012 kings just because the kings were a complete surprise but they dominated like the 2012 kings did yeah they only lost four games in the playoffs 16 and 4 is an insane record in the playoffs yeah, it really is. It it really is. I remember watching Vancouver get embarrassed that year. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, like, we're all West Coast guys here. I mean, we all saw that firsthand. But I do want to ask, because you did bring up, if the Lightning don't go on the deep playoff run and they do have to go into retooling mode, what sort of moves would you see Tampa Bay having to move at that point? I could see a lot of our depth being moved away. So all these depth pieces are being added, like Tyler Mott yesterday being added. If things don't go well this year, even before the playoffs start, Mott could be moved probably back to the Rangers knowing Mott, but he he probably will be moved at some point, but I could see the lightning moving away from pieces that people would want to keep, but they wouldn't be able to keep. Now that this not include Sorelli, Chernak or Sergachev because they are unmovable at this point, their contracts are too long to move. But it is possible that if Stamkos doesn't come back next season because he is expiring, I don't know why he would not come back. But if they only sign Stamkos to a two-year deal, three-year deal, and they struggle next season right out the gate, and it's a year that they know they won't make the playoffs, I could see Stamkos being moved. He's going to be 34 by the end of this next season, I believe. So, yeah, it's all just an age thing. I don't think Hedman would be moved unless he has another really bad year. But even then, he still has 
a couple of years left on his contract. But it'd be moving away from those older pieces, no matter how big they are to the team, and just making sure they can get those younger guys like Sorelli and Point and Sergachev and Chernak some more time to, you know, learn their roles as they're new. You know, they're going to be the faces of the franchise. Even, even if players aren't traded, eventually those four are going to be faces of the franchise. That just blows my mind that when you said Steven Stamkos is going to be 34 next year. I don't want to think about that. Yeah, I think I think it's 34. I mean, yeah, I think I he's a 90th birthday. Let me look him up. Yeah, he's 33 right now. That That's weird to think about. And I think Hedman's 32. Yeah. Which is wild to think about. And the last thing I want is for Stamkos to be traded. He is my favorite player. But... A team's got to do what a team's got to do, especially if a season goes backwards and it doesn't look like it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. I know 2017, the Lightning didn't really – didn't panic in 2017, I believe it was, when they missed the playoffs. Yeah. But so it's 16 or 17. I don't remember for sure. My mind's everywhere right now. But they didn't panic, and they made the playoffs the very next year. Yeah, it was it was 20, it was seventeen because they made the Eastern Conference Finals against Washington in eighteen. But yeah, I think this time would be different if the Lightning do take a really bad, you know, really bad turn of events. But I don't think it's going to happen this year. I don't even know if it'll happen next year. But you know, I think a lot of fans have already noticed that there is a downward trend going with the Lightning, and. You know, maybe people just think that because of how bad this season was in the playoffs. You know, things did not go the Lightning's way. But, yeah, you never know. It really just depends on health as well. Well, given that we live in an era where you see star players don't finish out their careers with the team they get drafted by, could we see a situation where maybe Stamkos and the Lightning are on the same page where Stamkos wants to stay at Lightning his whole career? I think Stamkos could, but I don't think he will. Stamkos, you know, he lived in, he was born in Ontario, I believe it was, and he's lived in that Toronto area for a while. I think he might go to Toronto at some point. I mean, back in what, 2016 it was? 2015, 2016, when nobody knew if he was going to stay on the Lightning. Yeah, that was, that's, you know, I know people don't want to think about Stamkos going to, a team like Toronto, but it could happen. And I hate thinking that because I don't want Stamkos to move. But like you said, it's a time where you don't see star players stay on their teams. Like Mika Koivu didn't stay with, I believe it was Wild. Mm-hmm. And he is, he's retired. His numbers are tired by them now, I think. Yeah. You don't see those star players stay on teams anymore. Patrick Kane, he's out of Chicago, which is very weird to think about. Taves, if he comes back, is not going to be back in Chicago. And even Sidney Crosby, I think, at some point could leave Pittsburgh, which is very weird to say. But if Pittsburgh goes into a direction where they have to rebuild, Crosby's not going to be a part of that. No, it is scary to think that. But I think with guys like Crosby and Ovechkin, I do see them staying in their whole career. But I did read that Patrick Kane signed with the Red Wings 
So think of that. You're a longtime Blackhawk, and then you go sign with our direct rivals in Detroit. Did they? Did they sign? Did he sign with the Red Wings already? I think he signed with the Red Who Wings. Who did? Sorry, Patrick Kane. I haven't seen that. Unless I know. I know it was talked about. I know they're like the front runner for Kane, which I would hate that, but maybe I'm off my rocker. No, okay, I'm off my rocker. Sorry, I thought oh. <laughs> you signed with signed with the Wings already. Yeah, I know his injury. Um his recovery is actually a lot better than people thought it would be, but I'd be shocked to see him not go to Buffalo. I thought Buffalo would sign him for sure. Yeah, I thought so too. I mean, in fairness, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a, there's a player on the Sen, Sylvain Turgeon back in the day. He had a hockey card with him against the Sabres and Patrick Kane's in the front row as a little kid. Oh, that's cool. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. I remember seeing that a couple of years ago. Yeah. I, I know that Patrick Patrick Kane's gonna play for the Sabres at some point. I mean it's a childhood team. Yeah. But it could might not be right now, but it'll definitely be at some point. I mean, could you imagine that video the Sabres could make for that where you have a shot of that hockey card and Patrick <laughs> Kane's looking at it in a Sabre jersey going like, huh. That'd be And then you could make the brutal edit of the photo of him punching the cabbie. <laughs> <laughs> See, now only if they had Uber back then. Oh, God. Who knows how that would have went? I <laughs> uh, know. His career would be over for sure. Now, a guy whose career isn't over is Brandon Hagel. And the Lightning gave him a big-time extension, $52 million over eight for 6.5 per. Given that he had 60-plus points last season, what sort of expectations should he have now that he's got this big extension? Well, now that he's got this big extension, I think that not just the organization Hagel himself, but the fans as well kind of realize now that Hagel is going to be, be the new, you know, wingman to point. I know Kutrov, Kutrov's only like 29 or 30, but Hagel's slowly becoming that guy. You know, his face has already been plastered everywhere. A lot of ads that you see with the lightning like on their Instagram posts and all that, have Hagel in them. They traded a King's Ransom for Hagel. And so far it's worked out. And yeah, I mean, with how well that Hagel played, he definitely deserves that extension. I mean, 64 points in 81 games, 30 goals. And I think that's his first 30 goal season. It's It shows that the Lightning trust him. And it shows just how important he is to the Lightning. It's definitely a bargain for how well Hagel could do. It's definitely a bargain. And I think that for right now, he kind of be seen as that replacement for Kalorn. More expensive replacement for sure. But, um, you know, he gets similar point totals to Kalorn, which is very weird to say. But, yeah, eventually Hagel's going to be that number two guy that the lightning look towards if point is either injured again or if he you know if they play on the same line together it's kind of like that stamkos kutrov duo but with point and hagel instead yeah no like hagel's one of those interesting guys where it's another one of those tampa trades a lot of picks to get a guy but the guy has been incredibly valuable for them Mm -hmm. it's almost the inverse tanner journal yeah, it's definitely the opposite of how Janelle went. Um, but I will say this, 
last season when the Lightning traded for Hagel, he only got seven points in 22 games. And people thought, okay, the Lightning overpaid. Hagel's not going to work in Tampa. This is a terrible trade. Then it worked out because at that point, Hagel was, he was in his second year. And while he did play well his second year, he struggled with Tampa. But that's a new scenery as well. Chicago played so much differently than the Lightning did because Chicago knew that they were bad. <laughs> yeah. But the Lightning knew they were good. And the same thing is going on with Nashville. And Janot with Nashville knew that they weren't doing well. And he was going through a sophomore slump either way. He played terribly. But next season, who knows? He's a 20-goal scorer. Maybe he'll be a 20-goal scorer with Tampa. If he isn't, though, then I think that Janot trade might go down as you know one of the worst in modern Lightning history, <laughs> for sure. Although it's, it's tough because like giving up first and a second, that's rough. But third, fourth, fifth. That's that's basically a second when you sum those three up. I think my biggest issue is Cal Foot. Yeah. If Cal Foot wasn't a part of that trade, I wouldn't have been as, as upset. And while Cal Foot is never going to be that top defenseman, maybe not even a top four defenseman, he is very useful when you need him. I remember last season um, writing a couple articles on Cal Foot because he played so well in the playoffs. And I think I talked about that in the last podcast, is that... Calfoot was very useful for a while for Lightning in the playoffs, especially against Toronto and Florida. And that's what really hurt me was losing a player like that. Especially when Tampa's depth, defensive depth went to shit in the playoffs. Oh my god, yeah. that The defense right now for Tampa is kind of scaring me, but I think it'll work out fine if Hedman decides to start being a franchise defenseman again. Yeah, no, talking about a franchise player, given that we are a Sens podcast, Nick Paul. Yes, Nick Paul. I was actually very happy with Nick Paul last season. You'll hear varied things from people about Nick Paul, but I'm going to just flat out say that Nick Paul is very good. You know, he might not get points, you know, but not a lot of players really, you know, they're not going to get a bunch of points with a good team like that. But Nick Paul, 32 points is still very good. It's a season high for him, I think. Um, I don't think he's ever gotten 32 points. And it's not just that, but he's just very good. You know, not just points, but just an all-around player. I really like the way he plays. He's a very hardworking player, and that's what the Lightning need is hardworking players. Without Paul, I just don't know if the Lightning could have even won, you know, could have won two games in the playoffs last season, even though he wasn't seen as, like, the biggest contributor Definitely miss Nick Paul. Yeah. I think anybody would miss Nick Paul. It's the same thing. You know, you guys got Matthew Joseph. While he isn't the top six player that was envisioned with the Sens at the time of trade, I still miss Matthew, Matthew Joseph. People always make fun of him for, oh, he's so bad on the PK. And, oh, people always get behind him. But his defensive play was a lot better than a lot of players, a lot of forwards in the league. Hmm. You know, he always played with Sorelli on the PK for the Lightning, and it's something you miss after a while, especially when the PK for the Lightning was kind of eh last season. Like, yeah, I think one of the big things about Matthew Joseph is last season was definitely a down season for him, and I think that with Shane Pinto going back, like, with a healthy Josh Norris, healthy, good, healthy and emerged Tim Stutzla, 
you have Pinto Joseph on your third line, and that's just much better. Yeah, I think that'll work a lot better. Um, now that the Brink gets off the team, which is, don't know why he. I don't know how you guys feel about the Debrinkit situation, but I thought it was just stupid. I wasn't that surprised that he left, to be quite honest. Well, it's more that I don't know why the guy thought he'd be getting first pairing minutes when Brady Kachuk was just outplaying him. I know, and there's an, there was a bunch of posts today talking about that on Instagram from Puck Empire, and I think even Hockey Opinion put something up about it. Well, you saw the score, and I think NBC reported it. Yeah, well, even Tim Stutzel, I think, is on 32 Thoughts. Yeah, oh, yeah. Alluded it. I mean, you can't expect to get top minutes when you're not performing it the way that people want you to perform. And, you know, you have Brady Kachuk, who is a very underrated player in the league. Like, you can't expect to get those minutes. And he's not, I don't think he's going to even get top pairing minutes in Detroit. If Lucas Raymond goes back to what he was in 2022, then why would they need Alex Brinkett on that top line? Yeah, I would expect him to play second line minutes there too. The only reason he got top minutes in Chicago was because it was Chicago. But also it doesn't help that the way that the Senators play is so much different than the Blackhawks. Whereas the Blackhawks were very much of a rushing team. Ottawa was more of a setup and get a shot off. Yeah, that definitely. really hampered what Debrinka could do. But what's funny is Detroit's also trying to be a setup team. Yeah, so I I don't know what he sees in Detroit. Obviously, I think he's from, he's from there. Okay, he's from Michigan. I get that part, but if that's the case... Maybe he wants to hang out with Dylan Larkin. Maybe. Dylan yeah. Larkin seems like a chill dude. Yeah. No, I will say this. Debrinka, I'm happy that he's somewhere that he wants to play. But... This feels like a Matt Barzell situation in a way. Barzell plays such a different game than the Islanders play. And he has that massive contract with the Islanders. But people talk badly about it because he doesn't produce points on the Islanders. But nobody produces points on the Islanders because that's the way they play. They play a much more defensive style of game, which I think is a big mistake, for one, when you have Matthew Barzell and Brock Nelson on a team together. And Anders Lee. Anders Lee, yeah. Anders Lee has struggled. And it's very weird to see because Anders Lee, not even three, four years ago, was playing very well. There's a reason why he was the top guy to get the captaincy, not just because of his play, but also his leadership. And you're seeing all that kind of crumble down because of the way that the the team is coached. And, you know, I people like to call the Detroit coach Grew, but Grew is also very you know, a different style of hockey than what Debrinket wants to play. Because the Lightning used to play that similar style just because of him. That's why he coaches Detroit the way he does, because he coached that way to Lightning. Even as an assistant, you know. So, yeah, I don't know if is going to perform well in Detroit's first year. I mean, how often do you see a guy move teams and just all of a sudden play really well? That's... Especially lately. Yeah. It's especially if he, yeah, he doesn't end up on that top line in Detroit. Yeah. All I can say is that he's their problem, not ours. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, at least he's not Pierre Luc Dubois. He's not going to request a trade after 15 games. Ugh, I know. Yeah, or maybe when he uh, compares the cost of living in Los Angeles to the cost of living in, sorry, Columbus and Winnipeg. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was kind of surprised that he wanted to leave Columbus, though. Um, I'm going to be one of those people that I, I don't cheer for Columbus, but I will say this. It's much better for hockey than people think. They have one of the best arenas in the game and also one of the best fan bases. And they have a cannon. Yeah, they have a cannon. Scares the crap out of Johnny Gaudreau. <laughs> Why did he go there? <laughs> you know, I know he wanted to go there because he was closer to family. But like, yeah. But Columbus honestly is like an organization that I think people would want to play for if they gave it a chance. I think just knowing that it is in the Ohio area, not a typical hockey market, kind of turns people away. Not to mention it's a college town. Yeah, I was going to say, because you live in Pullman, which is, of course, for people in the Washington State area know that's where the Cougars play out of. Yeah, and while I may hate the fact that things get really busy around here because of it being a college town, I've been to football games here. It's really exciting. And I feel like people would like that. I mean, you hear nothing but good things about Columbus from people who are not hockey players or even people who play in Columbus. They say a lot of good things. There's a reason why Gaudreau signed for seven years and Wierenski for eight years. I have friends from Columbus and they're like, yeah, it's great. We've had XM players and Blue Jacket players on this podcast that said the same thing. Yeah, it's too much hate for Columbus. I was very upset at them after 2019. I said a lot of bad things about them. But one thing you can't say about them is that they're not an exciting team to like actually watch. Yeah. Yeah. You got to give the people of Ohio something nice. I know. Yeah. Well, that's not true. What about, I mean, Joe Burrow got that big extension the other day. That's true. He didn't perform to that extension. (laughs) But I hope the Bengals uh, enjoy having that $200 million quarterback and no Super Bowl. So. And they just lost to the Browns today. Yeah. Oh, wait, he only got 89 yards, I think. Wow. Or maybe that, maybe that was Jamar Chase, but he did not play well. Joe Burrow played terribly today. I'm actually going to look that up real quick because it was like 28 to 3, I think. Yeah. That's bad. Really bad. Um, I'm surprised as the Bucks beat the yeah 24 to three, the 82 first. yards for Joe Burrow, 14 31. Jesus, when you're not even making half your passes, that's just yeah, that's like a 48 percent pass completion rate. That is terrible. And of course, Jamar Chase called. Jamar Chase needs to shut his mouth. <laughs> he every time he says something, it goes wrong. He had 39 yards off of five receptions. That's terrible. If you're averaging 7.8 yards, 7.8 yards would be good if you were catching more balls. Right? At least he's not the wide receiver from Kansas City when Mahomes threw it. He just dropped. Oh, my God. What's his name? Kadarius Toney? Yeah. Isn't he supposed that to- was something. So if, I think this week's going to be a lot of upsets like it was last last year, though. It seemed like week one had a lot of, like, upsets. Because I think the Bengals lost their, like, first two or three games of the season. Tampa beat Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, that was, like, what, 20 to 18? 2017, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Well, look at last season. Did anybody pick the Broncos to beat the Seahawks week one? No. Oh, not at all. But I watched that entire game, and my fiance's dad is a big Broncos fan. God, I saw him just the week after. That was that was pretty funny. He oh, was not happy. I, believe me, I love the fact that we had that first pick. That was – I'm hoping Witherspoon really lives up to the hype. I think he'll do better. I think he'll do better under Sean Payton, but – Oh, sorry. No, Witherspoon. Oh, Witherspoon. No, no, yeah, no. no, Devin Will- Witherspoon. I'm hoping that he works well with the Seahawks. Yeah, me too. It seems like you always hear about these top five, top ten draft picks always becoming busts. <laughs> I'm hoping that's different. I'm hoping that Njigba as well with the Seahawks pick does well. So, Well, heck, I mean, you live in Pullman. Washington State had one of the biggest draft busts in the NFL, so. Yeah. (laughs) At least Ryan Lee's doing better now, so. Yeah, I'm hoping that the Seahawks do better now, but I will say I don't think it's going to be a great season for the Seahawks. What the the fuck is the stat line for the Steelers? 15 plays? One yard. Yeah, the 49ers just steamrolled them. It was, what the That's hell? what I heard. What was the score for that game? When I checked, 30 it was like, to 7. Yeah. Final. Holy crap. And people thought that George Pickens and um, Kenny Pickett were going to be a good combo for this game. Nope. nope. Even then, Brock Purdy didn't play like an amazing game. He went 19 and 29. But... I love the fact that we that this whole time we've been spending with football and the Lightning are just like, well, I guess we're here. ah so good though so good so noah i can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to do this segment today now before we head off into the close where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find bolts by the bay yeah so bolts by the bay is a um a fan-sided sister website they call it but they have like 200 sister websites so if you just look up bolts by the bay you will find them on there and you can find myself on there, Noah Wilson, or on Instagram, Noah Z Wilson72. Um, I'm not really on Instagram too much though. So but more articles will be coming out soon. Um, they've kind of revamped the team a little bit at Bulls by the Bay because it was kind of struggling a little bit. No articles were coming out because nobody had the time. So we found people that had more time, while the people who don't have enough time can just take some time to be look at their articles out. So and the final question we got to ask him, we're asking everybody who do these segments with us for this coming season, 2023, 2024, how do you see your team finishing in the division? I think second, second or third. Um, it's either going to go Toronto, Tampa, Buffalo, or Toronto, Buffalo, Tampa. People may think I'm overrating the Buffalo Sabres, but they looked really good last season. And the only reason they missed the playoffs is because of November. November hockey killed them. Eight losses in a row killed them. Yeah, we know a thing or two about that. Are Ottawa and Buffalo the same team? Yeah, I think so. Pretty close to each other, too. Well, I guess all I got to ask, really, is do you see the Lightning or the Buccaneers finishing either two? Like, Do you see the Lightning do better than the Bucs in that division? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Bucks are going to be like third place in the NFC South because Atlanta's going to finish first. Yeah. There's no way the Hawks, not the Hawks, the Falcons, man, basketball and football for some reason mixed up with me. Same city. Yeah. 
Yeah, no reason that the Falcons should not get first in the division. They're going to go eight and nine either way, but they're not. They're going to get first in the division, and the Saints are going to get second. I don't think there's any anybody who's going to say differently. Maybe they'll switch Atlanta and New Orleans, but no way the Buccaneers finish higher than third. I mean, Baker Mayfield. Such a love as much as I love Baker Mayfield, you know he's not going to do well. And even then. I don't cheer for the Bucks, so I'm fine with them losing. Representing the Boston Bruins is the co-host for the Bruins podcast. Only Bruins. Please welcome to the show, Brett Howard. Brett, how's it going, man? Welcome to the show. Pretty good, guys. I'm excited to be on here. Uh, we've followed each other for a while, and uh, I'm I, I'm a bit. I'm actually I go up to Ottawa all the time to see games because it's better than going to Toronto. So I'm as excited to come on with you guys. Is it because that when you go to Toronto, you get shade for being a Bruin fan, but you can always throw it back saying, "Yeah, but it was four one." Yeah, straight up. And I don't want beers thrown at me. Uh, there's a couple other options. Like after it's so funny after Ottawa games, we go up there, win or lose, doesn't matter which team we're high five and great game. You know, it's great people up there. So I I have long stopped going to the I don't even know what it's called now. I call it the ACC still, but I, I always go up to what was formerly the Canadian Tire Center is what is it now? Scotiabank place. Still Canadian Tire Center. Is it? Okay, nice. Yeah. So I always get them mixed up because in Canada, they're constantly swishing those arena names. Rogers pretty much owns them all at this point. So, but uh, yeah, it uh, was, I'm excited to be on here with you guys and uh, talk some uh, puck, Atlantic Division puck. We're super excited to have you on the show as well, Brett. Like you said, like we've been following each other for quite a while. And a question that I always love asking whenever we get somebody new on the show whether they're a podcaster or a blogger, is how they became a fan of the team that you're for. So I got to ask you, how did you become a fan of the Boston Bruins? So it's actually kind of a funny story. So my dad's a Boston everything fan, Patriots, Celtics, uh, Red Sox, Bruins, obviously. So, And my mom is a Leafs fan and Jays fan. So I literally had to choose when I was younger, and I just happened to choose the right path. <laughs> could have gone the other way, and you could have said, I'm going to be a Montreal fan. Yeah, like we were talking off air, I could have been on the uns- uh, the wrong side of that 4-1 uh, <laughs> victory. So I'm just happy I chose the right side. I got a cup out of it. Uh, they're still trying to make it past the second round. So I think I did pretty good at this point. Yeah, well, I know like when you're talking about being a Bruin fan, like if you went on to be a Habs fan, I think at that point you'd be put for adoption. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, like, and that's the thing too. I can't stand the toilet seats either, so. I think it's just, it was something born inside of me. Like we got a, I got a buddy on uh brew. It's so funny. I got a buddy on Bruins Twitter. His name's born Bruin and he lives in Montreal. I'm like, how did that even happen? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's like when you see people who are born, born out here and they don't cheer for any of the teams. Yeah. 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 I was going to say you guys are in that boat, but at least Vancouver and Ottawa isn't that bad, right? Like Boston and Montreal. I just, I, but I get, I get shade. Cause I'm like, like I told you guys, I'm not far from Toronto. So all my buddies are Toronto fans. Was there a sense of pride get being from 
around that area that a guy like Tyler Sagan got drafted by Boston? Yeah, it was actually. It's funny because that kind of fell in our lap too with the Phil, uh, Phil Kessel trade, right? Like nobody thought at the beginning of the year that Toronto was going to have that second overall pick. So um, it was really nice. I actually, I think I cursed him a little because I bought his jersey. It was the alternate um, and he was traded two days later. So I, I think I'm to blame for that one, unfortunately. Still love him in Dallas. He's a hell of a player. I don't think we win that cup without him. And in that series against Tampa, he absolutely tore it up. So like you said, it was awesome to see a local guy uh, uh, make make a splash like that at such a young age and be such a big part of, you know, it, what is it, 13 years now since we've won the cup. So it's it's uh, it was it was it was it was good to watch that happen. That is insane. I mean, given all the championships that Boston sports teams have, the fact the Bruins won a cup 12 years ago. That mm-hmm. my mind. Oh, I know it. it we, that's, I talk to my Boston buddies all the time and they're like, it's, it's been title town for a long time, but the tides have turned and you know, we got to get back into gear, get going on that again. Now being a fellow podcaster, we got to know how did the show only Bruins come about? It's actually kind of funny. I used to have my own show, uh, The Beehive, which I'm pretty sure you you knew from before. That's how we kind of uh, started following each other a little bit and um, didn't work out. You know, I had some personal things going on at the time that I needed to step away from podcasting. And my buddy, Nick Busa, who uh, downtown Busi, who I do the podcast with, we're, all, we're also associated with uh, Primetime Networks, a great network over there. Make sure everyone goes and checks that out. But um, he just kind of asked me if I was available to come on a couple times and then we knew each other from beforehand it was instant chemistry and I guess we just kind of never looked back from there like um you know when you get it clicking on a podcast with someone and it, it just feels right there it, it, ju- it just felt like we were always meant to do this podcast together he's one of my best friends and I couldn't be happier uh I wouldn't be happier doing it with anyone else it's been a great opportunity and I'm thankful for everything we've got from this podcast I feel like we're in the same boat, Tim, because like my co-host and I, like we went to middle school together. Yeah. We we've grown up together. So the fact that we've gotten a chance to do the show the last six years has been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has been. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys have a great show too. I listen in time to time as much as I can. You know how it is. Listen to podcasts. They're all, you got a million in the queue, right? But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how things work out like that. It's funny. I'm going, I, I've not yet to meet him in person yet. My buddy, Nick uh, Busa, uh, but I'm going down there in November. We're going to see, ironically enough, the first Leafs game in Boston this year, and uh, it's going to be a great time. Oh. Tell your buddies about it if you guys win. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I'm going to rub it in all their faces. I actually, there's a guy that we follow on Twitter. I, I, I apologize that I can't recall the guy. And he was going to go to the first Leafs Sens game of the season. He's going to have a sign among all the Leaf fans that says, the Ottawa Senators helping Leaf fans afford two Leaf games every year. since. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Digs whenever we can, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, before we get into talking about this year's Bruins team, we got to talk about the last year's team because I don't think anybody expected 65 wins, steamrolling the entire league, only to lose the way they did. I do got to ask the question, though, is the 2023 Bruins, have they eclipsed the 07 Patriots as the biggest choke in Boston sports? 
Uh, I think so. Like, like I always make a joke on our podcast. We won 72 games way too early. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like it almost like we felt like we were in our own way. Um, Montgomery, as much as I love him and what he did, I kind of think he let the inmates run the asylum a little too much. The Bergeron injury in Montreal didn't help things at all. Krejci was banged up. You got Allmark who comes out later. He had a, a messed up rib from one of the last. It just it just felt like everything was unfolding at the perfect time. And then you go into the series itself again. Like and, and I'm not taking anything against the Panthers or away from the Panthers. Sorry at all. Like that that team. You know, you saw what they did. They steamrolled Toronto the round after. They 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 deserved to be where they were, but. Pasternak hitting Bobrovsky the knob of his stick in game seven and overtime Marshawn not scoring that breakaway in game five at the end of like it just all felt like it was uncrumbling at the right time and Montgomery got out coached Paul Maurice is a hell of a coach you guys know with him being up in Winnipeg like we've as Canadians we've seen it for years right so I just think it was it, it definitely was a choke job. I'm not taking anything away. Like they're my favorite team. Don't get me wrong. But as podcasters, we have to call a spade when we see it. Right. So it was tough to watch. I really hope the guys have a fire under their ass coming into this season. But I definitely think it's up there in one of the biggest chokes in Boston sports histories for sure. Well, coming into this season, like what should the expectations be for the fans, given that, again, you lost Bergeron, Krejci, a lot of the depth. Like, what should the expectations be for the Bruins this season? Well, with it being the 100th season, I think we just need to enjoy what we watched last season, as tough as it was in the playoffs. I think that, you know, it, it is what it is, right, when you look back in it. But you bring in guys like JVR in a $1 million show-me deal. I know he's not going to get, like, a big contract after this, but, you know, he is, a, he is a, um, a Hockey East guy. Same thing with Shattenkirk. I'm really excited to see what he can bring to the table. And you know what? For the first time in a long time, it's, it's, it's going to be a great opportunity for some young guys to try and win some spots at a camp, which I've talked on our podcast the past couple weeks. It's exciting. Exciting. I don't remember the last preseason we've gone into that I've thought, oh, this guy could win a spot. At, like the team's been pretty much set for the past, what, 10 years almost, I feel like. Like with other than a couple fourth liners or, you know, some surprises in camp, we don't have a good prospect pool for a reason. We've been going after it over and over and over. And eventually you have to turn it over to this new leaf. Did I want to watch Bergeron in these new beautiful Bruins jerseys that we just saw released the other day? Yeah. Krejci as well. Yes. But you know, it's time to turn a new leaf. And I, I, I honest, I think they're a playoff team and I know people don't see it, but when you look at the analytics of stuff and what you're really taking away with the Krejci and Bergeron thing, like if, if Zaka can step up this year, I wouldn't be surprised um, to see him get 60 ish points. The big question for me is Charlie Coyle. Is he going to be able to finally be that top six center that have, people have touted him to be for such a long time? So the back end isn't, much change so i'm not worried about that we had the two top three goalies in the league last year winning the jennings and vesna like omar lost four what was it, seven games last year for them in regulation like that's the type of thing i'm looking at and it's going to be hard for us to score goals this year but teams like the minnesota wild have done it for years where yeah they don't have a true number one c but they have a great defensive core and goaltending to back them out of some situations that get a little hairy sometimes 
Yeah, and like Tim says, two of those losses came to the hands of the Ottawa Senators too. Yeah. Yeah, hey, that first game, oh my god. What was that? The, was it the 7-5 game or 7-6 game or so? What a game. Um, I, I know Strawman kind of got thrown into the fire there not playing for a month, but that was on everybody. But it, it like I like I said to you guys before, that's why I like going to Ottawa. The games are always in, intense. It's always a good friendly rivalry. Like I don't think we are are uh, fan base hate each other or anything like that, but it's always good games. Um, and especially through those years from like when when Ottawa's popping off from like 2015 to 2017, those games were some of the best games in TV. They were so good, and yeah. of course, being the Sens fan, we have to bring up the 2015. We go on that deep, crazy run near the end. We knock off Boston. I there is one Bruin I do want to talk about here, and this is a guy that Tim and I talked about on the show is Patrice Bergeron, who announced his retirement. And Patrice Bergeron, looking past what he did on the ice, that speaks for itself, but I'm always very fascinated about what he did off the ice. And, of course, we always hear about what him and Chara did in Boston with really forming that culture with the Bruins and everything he's been able to do. So I got to ask, as a Bruins fan, like, what is Patrice Bergeron's lasting legacy in Boston? Um, a better human, like you, you nailed it on the head, a better human than a hockey player. And that's freaking hard to say because he's probably one of the best two ways hockey players of all time that we ever get to watch like Mr. Selkie, right? Like what, what more can you say about him? And the fact that he was that responsible defensively and offensively on the ice, like, like Montgomery said it this year, he hit his thousand points or whatever. Yeah. He hit the thousand points and Montgomery said, if he cheated the game, like other players did, he probably would have had 1200 by now, but that's just the type of player he is. Like he came into that organization as an 18 year old, wowed everybody. The organization was in a very tough transition, bringing in Chara. And another guy that gets lost in this in the talk of this is uh, Mark Savard. He was a big state, unfortunately, career-ending injuries, now an assistant coach with the Calgary Flames. He, he was a big uh, – Bergeron talked about how instrumental he was in the beginning years of his career. So he will forever be one of the greatest Bruins of all time. Um, there's no doubt in my mind about that. And like you said, the, the the leadership he did, what he did in the uh, the Boston hospitals for foundations all over Boston, um, it, it, it's just a testament to even what a better human he was than a hockey player. He will be surely missed. But like he said in his press relief, he's ready to be a dad. And you can't fault anybody for that. He's got young children at home, one that was just on the way recently. And, um, you know, it... I just wish we could have got him another cup, especially in 2019. That one's going to haunt me for a long time. Well, I really think it speaks to the organization's faith in Patrice was when they traded Joe Fort in the San Jose in 2005 and decided right then and there, okay, we're rebuilding around Patrice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that was a gutsy move. People still think it was a bad trade, right? And do you get that cup if you don't trade Thornton? I That's a tough conversation to have because Thornton was still an amazing player in San Jose for years to come after but it's the culture and what we shaped in Boston with the Savard the like that's the that offseason when we signed Chara and Savard was the, the I think that's where it it took the next like it 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 showed that this organization is willing to spend money for the first time in a long time which like you saw with Ray Bork the whole his whole career was wasted. They never wanted to spend money bringing in players to play around him. They shipped out Paul Coffey, Brian Leach, all these players around him, right? So it, it it's it sucks, but you know, um, 
you know, like it's the same thing with Krejci. I know he's not, he's more of an undercover guy um, around the league, but to Boston, he was everything to us. Mr. Game seven, most points in, in game seven history out of all, every Bruin ever. We don't get the cup without him either. And you, you get him from those picks and trades like that. So it was instrumental to the organization and it had to happen. Um, but, you know, like we just saw the hundred, uh, the hundred, uh, best Bruins announced and Joe Thornton was on there. And I honestly think that's because they traded him and won a cup after. <laughs> yeah. Well, I often wonder how different that trade is look at today, given that Bergeron has a cup, but if Joe Thornton had won one of San Jose, how different it looks today. Oh yeah. And you know, what's not talked about that's even funnier than the Joe Thornton trade is Bra- uh, Bill Guerin signed with Dallas and back then you'd get compensation if one of your UFA big time UFA signed with another team over a certain amount of dollars well the compensation pick we got for that was Patrice Bergeron and nobody ever talks about that and Bill Guerin was he's a Boston guy he was born in Boston you know bred through and through the organization wasn't going in the right direction he didn't want to be there and we got Patrice Bergeron out of that so it's little things like that like it's like you hear about how the Lindros trade like one of the last pizza a couple years ago finally got dealt from that because these things just trickle down for years and years and years and they're 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 franchise altering decisions yeah well like uh we're still seeing stuff from this trade that brought spezza and chara to mm-hmm. yeah yeah 100 percent, 100 all is part of that trick trade chain which means matthew joseph is part of that yep yep it's and it's it's that's where I'm a hockey nerd and a historian and I just love that stuff because like we're just talking like it, there are franchise altering decisions one way or another coming in or out, um and yeah like like you guys saw the Hosa Heatley deal like Hosa went on won a couple cups after that wasn't with Ottawa unfortunately but you know that they it's it's funny how things work out like that like like the Hosa thing he signed in what was it Detroit then Chicago won the cup and like it was back and forth and he couldn't figure out what team he wanted to be on Detroit, Pittsburgh Chicago Detroit he's with Detroit they go to the final don't win he's with Pittsburgh go to the final loses to Detroit yeah Chicago yeah yeah and I'm glad he finally got recognized for the work he did because that guy was a madman back in his prime he was and Marin Hose has been a guy who I know people have come out and said there's, I mean, Andy Sutton said he's one of the most talented guys he ever played with. Mm-hmm. Now, sticking with Patrice Bergeron, as sad as it was to see him retire a Boston Bruin, with one guy leaving, another one came back, Milan Lucic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Luch. I, You know what? It's weird, too, because a lot of the Bruins fan base is upset about it, but... In this 100th season, the centennial year, the Bruins being the first American team in the NHL, uh, Luch wanting to come back home, as he calls it. He grew up here as a young adult. He never wanted to leave. But like I was just saying, that's the business of hockey, good or bad. And it was the best. It was the right decision for the franchise at the time. And I also think that's the right decision bringing him back in. He wants to be here. He's going to be great. Like I was saying earlier, there's a lot of young guys that are going to be on the Bruins roster this year. And I think it'll be detrimental for their development. And like, like we saw Felino with Frederick last year, he really helped him out. I'm hoping maybe 
that um, Lucic can do the same thing for other guys like Lauko, Greer, uh, B- Johnny Beecher, who's yet to break into the NHL yet. So uh, I, I'm excited for it. You, you got you, you can't tell me that the first night in Boston when he puts that jersey on and skates out of the ice, they're just gonna they're gonna absolutely lose it, especially with the blue collar uh, mentality that Boston already has and the way that Lucic has played his career. And the last thing I'll add on to that is he doesn't have that six million dollar tag to him anymore. I'm really curious to see what people you know how people perceive him this year does he play 82 games probably not does that matter no yeah like yeah he's he's gotta be a 13th forward at this point in his career especially uh watch so uh i got to see him once a year for the last five years in calgary yeah yeah no and you know he did what he could in calgary it's just it's not his fault he got paid those dollars yep yeah well, it's funny when you talk about Milan Lucci's because when you look back up that 2011 team, there's so many players that come up. Tim Thomas comes up, Bergeron comes up, Char comes up. It doesn't seem like, and I don't know if I'm off base here, but it doesn't seem like Lucci's name doesn't exactly get brought up when talking about that 2011 team. And it's funny too because Nathan Horton's in that too with me. He had that crazy goal in the one nothing game in Game Seven of Tampa, and nobody ever talks about it. Which and I get it. He went on to Columbus and other places. His career ended. Yada yada yada. But those two guys, that that line, like the, the yes, the Bergeron Marchand line was the top line with uh, Recky. But that line with Krejci. Lucic and Horton was so hard to play against for Vancouver like once Lucic and Horton flipped the switch in that series it was over and you know his name's on the cup he'll forever be the Boston Bruin champion that he is and I'm honestly happy he's back for this season I hope we see guys like Nathan Horton uh, coming around this year to get celebrated as well because you know there there was a lot of unsung heroes on that 2011 Bruins team and like you said Tim Thomas went sicko mode Right, like the hard thing with Nathan Horton is, I guess mentioning him, it always brings back that just awful hit by Aaron Rome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, horrible. horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah, today's day and age, what is that? A ten-game suspension? Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, even look at the marks of art hit when. Kirk- yep. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, there's a couple of hated men in Boston for sure. <laughs> I always wanted to know, I mean, you know, you talk about Milan Lucic coming back to Boston. You always hear about Boston as a sports city. It seems like any player that goes there, they end up retiring there. Is mm-hmm. that, I would, I would imagine that has to be a fact with Lucic. Yes, I think I like I'm not he's not saying it's his last year. I'm not saying it's the last year, but it kind of has the vibe like he's coming here to maybe have a career after hockey in boston because he wants to he sh- he said too he wants his kids to see boston he wants to see where he grew up you know he's enjoying this later half of his career like his kids never saw him win the, win the cup right so now he they they get to see the history that he was a part of and 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 what he can do still as a bruin hopefully to help this team you know let's hope they make the playoffs you know boston's a beautiful city too and mm-hmm. two great probably the two best schools in the world in that city too yeah yeah the downtown area is beautiful well just in that area alone of massachusetts connecticut rhode island well you have mit and harvard yeah yeah yep 100 percent yeah 
Well, look at Andrew Raycroft. We shipped him off for Tuka Rask, and he's now one of our analysts. Like, it's a beautiful place to live, and 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 it's it it also speaks to the culture that Zidano, um, Savard, Bergeron, these guys have built in Boston, and and makes play players want to go back and end their careers there and or retire there. Yeah, well, we've we've had the luxury of having Jamie McLennan on, and he says the exact same about St. Louis. He mm-hmm. says that all the players that end up going there; they retire in St. Louis. They love being there. Yeah, you see the Kachucks talk about it. Um, I, I, uh, Steve, I know Steve Ott wasn't like a superstar or anything, but you see players like him who migrated back there. It, it, it's the same type of thing, and it's the culture that these teams build around their organization that makes players want to come back. What's funny is even despite Eugene Melnick, you see that with Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Like, yep, or Senators are involved with the Senators. Well, I think that's changing a bit now, right? I think people are opening their arms back up to Ottawa that were maybe pushed out at one time or another for unfortunate reasons. Yeah, like Wade Redden is now one of the development coaches. Yep. On Donovan, Jesse Winchester, a lot of those guys. Uh, Big Rig is Big Rig now has a pub at the airport. And yep. You're doing it at the CTC as well. Yeah, no. So it's like, all these guys are coming back. Yeah, and there's rumors that Sarah Leader's coming back. There's rumors Alfredson's coming back. Yep. Yeah, and it only makes sense, right? And the Big Rigs beer is really good. I've tried it a couple times. <laughs> I haven't had the luxury of trying it yet. Oh, that's good. I know you don't. <laughs> yeah. Now, moving, now, going back to what we are talking about, the current day Boston Bruins, Jeremy Swayman. And I know that mm-hmm. a lot of players, when they go to RF Bay, there's so much stuff that gets dragged through the mud with them. And as a Bruin fan, like, what do you make about the fact that he only got a one-year extension? Uh, I think it's the fact that we're so cap, uh, cash like strapped, right? Like, uh, the way it works out is smart for both sides. If Allmark has a ridiculous season again, they want to keep him. You can trade him as an RFA in the off season next year. Or if you're looking at trading all Allmark blood, like we have thirty million dollars going in next year. So I think it's the same type of thing you saw with Zaka last year. They gave him the legit, a most amount they could going into this season. I think it was like three point three or three point five or something. One year deal. Show me. January 14th, he size of four times 4.75, you know, he's all locked up. And I think you'll see something very similar um, with Swayman going forward. Uh, it, it was interesting to see it come down to the wire, especially arbitration. I didn't know if Swayman was the type of guy that could go through such a thing. Uh, but now you're hearing now that arbitration has loosened up a little bit. They're not as um, uh, cutthroat as they used to be, you know, completely dragging the players and and or organization whatever side you're on so um i'm excited to see what he can do this year it 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 kind of is a good gamble for the bruins if he doesn't play well he's gonna want another bridge deal at a shorter term then you see what you get from there i don't think that's gonna be the case i think you'll be seeing him sign a uh let's say six times six or something similar to that or in january february um kind of like you did with um saka as i mentioned before now say for example Jeremy Swimmon doesn't get the long-term contract you're talking about. Is there a possibility that the Bruins could move him to possibly replenish their prospect pool? Oh, absolutely. I think that's definitely on the table. I, I have a couple um, like air quotes sources around the Boston community that were saying that Seattle was very interested in um, some sort of deal involving um, Shane Wright and Swayman at the trade deadline last year because they knew they were in the, in the hunt for a playoff spot. And Swayman's exactly what Seattle could need at this time. And Shane Wright hadn't been working out up until that point, right? So um, I definitely think it's a possibility. 
Uh, I think at this point in time, the way tri- trades happen, especially for young players like Swayman say has an unbelievable season. I think it's a big package coming back. You've seen a couple of those recently in our, your Ottawa days, right? Like, you know how that goes, especially with how highly touted these kids are these days. So um, I, it wouldn't shock me at all. Um, the only thing that would shock me is them going with the older goalie than younger goalie. But if Allmark loses seven games again this year, what do you do, right? Yeah, I mean, at that point, but also do you watch what, say, a team like Winnipeg or Vegas are doing mm-hmm. with their goalie situation and see, okay, if those guys are going for this, we're going for this. Yeah, no, 100% too. And like that's you keep hearing Swayman attached to Shifley's name and or uh, whatever one C you want to put out there because we did lose two of our top, you know, top two centers. We lost them this offseason to retirement. So it would make a lot of sense to me as well if they even tried to go for uh, uh, like a, a centerman and maybe a prospect or two or picks in there as well. So it's so weird because we always think we know what's going to happen the year before. Um, and then players get traded. You think would never get traded in their careers. Right. So it, it's just very interesting to see how it'll all go down. I'm excited for this year. I think Swayman has a lot to prove. He just, not prove in a sense, but um, you know, he he he's the he's he's gotta keep doing what he's doing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. He just got that new deal with true hockey, uh, just got a fresh new contract, and it sounds like him and Olmark still have a healthy working relationship. So I'm excited to see what the two of them can do and push each other this year. It could all blow up in our face and we could be talking around trade deadline and Swayman's on the block, right? So you never know with hockey, it's a game of inches on um on a very big ice surface where guys are wrecking each other every night. Right. So you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. But if unfortunately the, it blows up in the Boston Bruins face and they end up moving on, you could look at this current iteration of the Bruins and be like, man, the fact that they've been competitive since 2008 mm-hmm. really goes to show like a level of consistency that sports teams thrived at. Yeah, and Marshawn talked about it recently when being asked if he's going to be the next captain. Um, it's what they've built in this culture, and that's why people want to like players want to come to Boston and play. Like, if people have us down and out, but the reason why JVR and Shattenkirk signed with us this season is because they want to be back in the playoffs. So they obviously believe in what we have as a core and what we're going to push going forward. Uh, like you said, it's a testament to management. I know a lot of people don't like Don Sweeney, but you can't. You know, the 2015 draft, yes, it'll go down forever is the worst fumble of all time. And yes, he should have taken more control. Maybe the organization should have handled it differently. It's 2020. He should have, could have, would have, right? So um, I, I I just think that, you know, what Neely and Sweeney have built um, and finally, like you see with the Pasternak deal and McAvoy deal, the 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 ownerships and letting them spend some money finally and keeping your superstars opposed to trading your Joe Thornton's back in the day, even though it might've been the best decision for the franchise. I, I, I think that, you know, why, why ownership doesn't want to rebuild. You know how tough they are, right? You've seen, you've gone through it. You guys are just knocking on the door again. And I'm glad because I freaking love when the senators are good because we get to chirp the Leafs all the time and the Habs and stuff. So that's always fun for me, especially uh, the senators being my Canadian team. So um, it's great. It, you know, it, it, but it it is, it is a testament to management that we've been successful for so long. 
Well, I, even when talking about the rivalries, I mean, it really goes to show that pocket of Ke- Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Boston, and just the fact that all four of those teams, as much as the fan bases don't agree with each other at times, I think it really goes to show when all four of those teams are good, it's an absolute bloodbath in the division. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, like, I wouldn't be – would you be shocked if five Atlantic teams made it in the playoffs this year? I think it would, would go to show who out of the Metro misses. And that's the thing too. Like, can can Columbus pull this together? Get some goaltending. Uh, is Washington taking a step back, or are they just going to keep you know being status quo? There's a lot of questions in the Metro. The Islanders are so boring to watch, but they they've got that style that wins in the regular season, right? So, it, yeah, Pitts, Pittsburgh getting Carlson, your boy. <laughs> but yeah, but like you know, it 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 could go any way. But if you told me that. It was uh, Tampa, Toronto, Boston, Ottawa, Tampa, Toronto, Boston, Ottawa, and Buffalo. I wouldn't be shocked. No. No, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, and it's funny because, like, we've talked in the past about this with the Red Wing fans. It's like the Red Wing fans are so arrogant. They honestly think, like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to do this because we got the eyes are playing, and yet Buffalo jumped ahead of them. Yep. Finally, Kevin Adams. Good for Buffalo, man. Bringing in Kevin Adams, he has completely turned that franchise around. They got two awesome jerseys and a, a crazy fan base to not be in the playoffs anymore. They got to figure this thing out. And like you said, you hear Eisman coming out the other days. Like the goal isn't the playoffs this year. We're still in rebuild mode. Like he gets it. He did it with Tampa for years, and he knows how hard it is. And you know Eisman and the Eiser plan. He wants his fingerprints all over everything. Yep. You know so. So it, 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 I wouldn't shock me at all if not they're the basement team, but like I think the Habs are going to be a basement team this year. And it wouldn't be shocking to me to see Detroit not far behind, not far ahead of them. Sorry. No, but also I think because people can also look at Toronto with the Shanna plan and see kind of how sideways and realistically that went with their, mm-hmm. you bring all these players in, but you only have one playoff series to win, show for it. Yeah. And like, is that success in the NHL anymore? No, it's not. Right. Like you look at a team like Vegas, that's cutthroat that did everything possible, including shipping off one of the uh, most loved and probably top 20 greatest goalies of all time to Chicago for literally nothing because they needed the cap space. So, and look at them now they have a Stanley cup and shit. You know what do people always like want to say whatever, but I'm happy for Bruce Cassidy. I genuinely am. And Bergeron told Mark stone, if you guys sign Bruce Cassidy as your coach, you're going to win the cup this year. And what do you know? So I, I, I know people like to hate on Vegas. It's low hanging fruit, but they did what they had to do to get a championship and look at Toronto. No, they still can't even get out of the second round. Yeah, I honestly, I think at this point, success should be based on, do you have more playoff series wins than the Coyotes? Yes. The Leafs do not. (laughs) Yes, yes. And that's it. That's that's my favorite punch down. And I'm still considering Toronto below us because, yeah, we might have lost, like, you know, in the first round this year, but they still haven't done anything. Now, one final question I do want to ask, and it's something you've brought up a couple of times here, the Bruins finally announced their 100th anniversary jerseys. I got to get your quick thoughts on that re- reveal. It's a lot of stripes. It's a lot of stripes. I don't like the socks, but that third jersey is really clean. I've seen a couple pictures up close and videos uh, from friends in the community. The The logo on the front of that third jersey is felt. The numbers on the back are felt. They went with the brown pants, brown helmet, brown gloves. They're bringing it right back to the... 
olden days. And they also threw the new B or the newish, the new old B that they've brought out this year on the Jersey with the 1924 on it, which is so super cool. Um, to be honest, I, I I don't mind the gold. I know a lot of people in the community are it's too glittery, it's too sparkle. I think when you see Pasternak going down on a breakaway, ripping down the ice, you know, jersey fluttering in the wind, people are gonna have a different stance on that. So I like the jerseys all in all. I think the whites look a little bit too much like Buffalo's 50th anniversary. I did like that jersey. I know people don't, but um, I would have rather see them go with the just the two stripes like the Cam Neely Bork uh, Don Sweeney era jersey, but I found out today that the the three rings, three gold rings on each sleeve represent the six Stanley Cups the Bruins have won in the NHL. So uh, I appreciate the history, and you know I think Adidas did a really good job on it, especially for that it's like their last jersey, you know, the last one they really got to like work on heavily. Um, before it switches over to fanatics permanently so i'm excited to see them this year i know people that spent a lot of money on them already and then the, the pro shop was flooding out the door today so um like i said it it's really exciting i uh I, I'm just happy to watch Bruins hockey this year. We had such a great season last year. It was a very disappointing loss. I just want to enjoy this 100th year, all the celebrations, and you know, hopefully make the playoffs and see what we can do from there. Florida showed you anything's possible once you get in. Are these jerseys going to be as big of a hit as the Bruins reverse retro from last season, though? Ooh, that's a good question. I think the third will. The third will for sure. I know a lot of people who have already purchased that one. Um the black and like the home and away, I don't know as much. I think the black will, I think like if we're going to rank them, I think it goes the third, the home, and then the away for sales wise. And there's nothing wrong with that. Away jerseys don't normally, you know, bring in as much money as it is. Right. Cause you, you like to see, you like to wear what everyone's wearing in the building. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But I think next year when we're supposed to go back to our normal jerseys, people are going to miss these jerseys more than they hated the initial drop of them or leaks. So Brett, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to do this segment with us today. Now, before I let you go, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find only Bruins? Okay. So you can find me at Brett Howard underscore on Twitter. Um, you can find the only Bruins at only Bruins pod and uh, we're also associated with our new network, Primetime Productions, which you can find at, at Primetime Prods. That's P-R-O-D-S. Excellent. And the final question, and I'm asking everybody who are doing these segments with us, at the end of the 2023-24 season, how do you see your team finishing in the Atlantic Division? Uh, I have us in the third spot, but I wouldn't be shocked if we're a wild card team this year because the Atlantic is going to be cutthroat. the Detroit Red Wings is the host from the 313 Hockey Podcast and a returning guest to the show. Please welcome back to the show, Jake Rivard. Jake, how's it going, man? Welcome back to the show. It's good. I feel like I'm walking into the lion's den right now because um, apparently our fan bases are like at war. I mean, you guys are at war with everybody, like, <laughs> but I just I notice that every time I log on. 
um it's weird like why why are the sends and the ring wings fans at it right now other than to bring cat it's like well it's not just what i know at first i was like okay they're just going after the Red Wings, probably the Debrinket stuff, whatever. Then you guys started fighting Habs fans. Then you started fighting Leafs fans, and I was like, okay, they're just they're just going crazy in Canada. Like, what's going on up there? I know it's what happens when we get good is that we get cocky. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't blame you. I, I watched that most of my life, so um, I was probably cocky during that era too. Oh my god, I know. And anyway. it's funny living on the West Coast. Never met a Red Wings fan. Really? We're good travelers. I mean, we're all over the place. Um, You can't go to like any state, any city without finding one. I mean, I'm in Chicago right now and I found a Red Wings bar and I'm like, we run deep, even in oh enemy territory, God. especially in Chicago, too. eh? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I, I was I was real surprised about that because I'm like, all right, we're like your worst enemies yet. We've got, you know, our own little territory over here. Maybe St. Louis is because, like as a as a Seahawks fan, like I know in Seattle for years there was a 49ers bar there. Really? Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah, that's well, I guess you get Californian transplants. Okay, I guess that kind of makes sense, but also like I'm surprised that that became a thing. Yeah, but do the Californians really resonate up here in Washington State? I think they used to. They're mostly going to like Texas now. Yeah. They're they're real. Sometimes they get up to like Vancouver. It depends. Yeah, well, I mean, especially in Texas, when you see those giant Bucky stores. Oh my god, those! <laughs> that is a cultural experience. <laughs> if you've never been to one, cultural experience would highly recommend. Oh my god, I know, I know. A, a so real she, jewel of the South. Sorry, go ahead. Exactly. So I was gonna say, man. So it has been a while since you've been on the show. So we got to give an update on what you've been up to. And I know that you just mentioned Chicago. I understand that you recently moved there. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to break Connor Bedard out of this uh, like hell they call the Chicago Blackhawks. So if you guys can give me any like heist tips, you know, that would be really appreciated. Um, maybe break out a couple of their prospects too. to just, you know, we got to we got to save them from the Blackhawks, man. Dangerous team. Oh, my God. Well, hell, just having to go to Chicago. Jesus. <laughs> um, it's not. You know what? It's not that bad. Um, it depends on, you know, it's like any city, whatever neighborhood you're in. Um, like my neighborhood right now, I mean, you know, there's old people walking down the street right now, old people walking down the street and it's like the middle of the night. So who knows? So I got to ask, like, what inspired the move from Pittsburgh to Chicago? Um, being in Pittsburgh for a couple of years. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, have you ever met Steelers fans? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that that's the short answer. Uh, the long was, I don't know, I just I needed to check something else out and, you know, save Bedard, get a little closer to family, um, yell, yell at Blackhawks fans. I don't know. Trying to figure that out right now. But it's been fun. I've been here about a month now. That's awesome, man. Now, I know that the last time when you were on the show and we were talking about moving, you told a story, and I I apologize if I might get it wrong, was <laughs> it from Detroit to Pittsburgh where you had the sofa getting stolen? It was. It was Grand Rapids to Pittsburgh, and it wasn't just the sofa. It was all of my things. Uh, completely, like, just an insane story. Um, to make a long story short, uh, I accidentally hired an organized crime unit to move my things. It did not work out very well. I got all my things back, though, uh, annoying them with the power of, you know, being a Karen. That's hilarious. <laughs> like, even when you first told that story, I'm just like... That's hilarious. Like, how? How? I Like, of all the people, you know, I guess this is a valuable life lesson. Uh, if something is really, really cheap, like, 
hugely cheap compared to other things. There might be a reason for that. Uh, so I found that out the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, talking about your hockey podcast, the 313 Hockey Podcast, and I understand that you were talking a little bit off air that you had taken the off season off. So heading into this season, what sort of things should we expect from the show? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, it's a question I've been trying to answer myself. I'm hoping to have like a more clear idea within the next week. So I would stay tuned. But uh, where it stands right now, I've got to get, you know, my host and I have to sit down and my co-host and I have to sit down and really figure out like what we want the show to evolve to. Is it going to be something more casual? Is it going to be something that we're going to try to turn into the big thing? Um, and I think then from there, we'll figure out like the amount of time we're able to invest in it, you know? Okay, because previously, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong here. I think you guys were doing it weekly or bi-weekly. Yeah, yeah. And you know how it goes. I mean, you guys run a show. It's it's a grind. And oh. sometimes, like, like Maddie and I are, are big big on traveling. Uh, we both like doing a lot of things outside of the hockey world as well. So it can be, like, a challenge to make sure, like, you know, one day I might be like, hey, are you ready to record? And she's like, oh, I'm in Germany. Just, like, you know, a totally out-of-context thing. So, um. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. If not, I do have some plans for some good writing coming up, uh, mostly in the satire range. I'm hoping to have a little more fun, uh, because if you didn't notice it recently, our sport that we love is very deeply not serious about like anything. <laughs> I know. And given that we as hockey fans, I mean, we haven't really even experienced the full experience of the Swifty yet. Yeah, that's true. Um, what I'm what I'm honestly like, I've been thinking about a lot of that lately um and like content specifically like have you have you noticed like literally almost everything the nhl posts right now is about Connor bedard like i i swear to god i was like scrolling through instagram today and i was like bedard 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 oh highlight from another game bedard bedard oh pittsburgh thing and then it's just more and i'm like i you know i get it he's like the big star player but do we feel that he's kind of being like oversaturated do we feel that the nhl is maybe bad at marketing Ooh, I don't know. Those are some big words there. I mean, given that you're in the States, it must be like what we here in Canada experience with Matthews. Yeah, do you guys, I imagine you guys get oversaturated with him quite a bit, right? Yeah, yeah, because here <sighs> in Canada, we have two major sport networks. And if they're not talking about McDavid, they're talking about Matthews. I imagine they talk about the Leafs quite a bit too, because they're both based out of Toronto, right? Yes. Might be a little bit of a slant, especially out in your neck of the woods, too, because they yeah. used to have like, oh, oh go ahead. It's awful. I mean, and I remember like I'm of the age like I remember when Sportsnet, one of the other big networks here, they split off into like it was like Pacific, West, East, Ontario, all kinds. So basically you would have your corner of regional sort of things that you would talk about. So you basically wouldn't hear the Leafs on the Pacific Coast unless it was like a highlight or something do they still do that or is it still all like no i think sportsnet now i think that they've gone away from that i think it's like like you you have your basic channels like your east west stuff like that but content wise it's just what just the actual sportsnet plays oh okay all right yeah i I was wondering about that um i have another one more canada media question okay um do you think that the Canadian media is biased towards certain teams. Ooh, are we biased against certain towards certain teams, and maybe even against a few? Mm. 
like do yes. you find that the success of a team like a you know team in the south is downplayed for example tampa bay i would say that but you know what jake it's funny that we talk about this because we've actually got a former media member to confirm on this show that there is actually a toronto bias really yeah because we were talking about this is back in the early 2000s when the Sens and the Leafs were playing in the playoffs. And I think Patrick Willeem had slightly better na- numbers than Curtis Joseph. Or I can't remember what the stat was, but the guy's boss said to him, he goes, oh, so Cujo's numbers are better. Yeah, but they're just slightly better. But Patrick's got the more wins or this. So Cujo's numbers are better than his. Mm. They'd pick and choose. Okay, that's that. Yeah, that confirms a lot of what I figured is true. Yeah. Well, I know Jay Onright, who's a prominent TV personality here in Canada, he's openly said it in the past. He says, like, trying to do a national broadcast in Canada is so difficult because it's like having six different countries. Because what plays in Vancouver will not play in Saskatchewan, will not play in Toronto. That's got to lead to some interesting... uh... I mean, that's probably why you guys are so passionate. That makes a lot of sense now that I'm thinking about it. Yes. Oh, feels like the whole world's against you. Oh my god! And it, actually, so you were talking about maybe doing some satire writing. I was in. I could only imagine, and I don't remember what site Macaulay Culkin was working for, but he was talking on a podcast about this. Is that he was doing like a pizza review and joke, or no? Was he, he was doing a whiskey review, and by the end of the article, it just sounded like drunk rambling. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, I actually, I, I really like remember- that. That's all I'm. That's all I'm picturing now. When you're talking about your set to write about Bodard, I used to do like really dumb articles. Like when I first started, like I'd pick the dumbest possible topic I could. Like if NHL players were fruits, and I would just write a stupid article about that. Just because, like, what you know, it's really dumb. It doesn't serve any purpose. It's just filler. But like, for some reason, people really like that. So I'm like, all right, I will give the people what they want. Hey, that's all you can do, right? Because some, yeah. so, sometimes people want that silly stuff. They don't want it to be super serious. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to move and talk about the silly stuff and talk about the Detroit Red Wings because I, I can't think of a team last year that, in my personal opinion, was just so inconsistent. I mean, when they're good, they were good. But when they were bad, it seemed like everything was going in left and right. Given how your guys' season went last year, coming into this season, what sort of expectations should the Red Wing fans have? The biggest thing that I'd be looking out for, and it's something that Coach Derek Malone talked about a little bit, was reducing those games where we lost by one goal. I swear, like, more than half of our losses last season were, like, 2-1, to 4-3, to 3-2, you know, just random, like, one-goal games. And if you reduce that by even, like, 20%, like, you know, maybe you get one or two more wins like that's those can go a long way and I mean you guys know how stacked this Atlantic division is um so what I'm hoping for is a little more consistency we had some off years from guys like Lucas Raymond um we had guys like Mo Sider have to play through the first portion of the season uh kind of anchored to a line mate that wasn't really working with him um and then he found his pair mate in Jake Wallman who I would say is one of the most underrated players in the NHL um, so consistency, I think, would be the name of the game. Okay. Now, with a big acquisition like Alex DeBrinkett, I mean, should the expectations now be upped given his big status? I would say, yeah. I mean, I, I would say, like, 
you know, what were your ex? That's a follow up with a question. What were your guys' expectations when you first acquired him? Honestly, that's a great question. I think it really depends on the fan itself because I think you saw a lot of fans were thinking, oh, well, if he scored 40 goals on a bad Blackhawks team, obviously he's going to come up to Ottawa with all his talent around him and score 40 goals like nothing. And then I watch him and I'm just like, I don't think the system is right for him. I was hoping if he hit 30 to 35, I'd be happy. Well, I'm a pretty reasonable level-headed fan, so I'm going to say, like, if he doesn't get a 60-goal season this first season, you know, then it's a total loss of a trade, you know, bomb, trade him, get rid of him, etc. Now, realistically, I think a 30-goal plateau would be pretty fair. Um, maybe, I in, in a perfect world, it'd be another 40-goal year. I think with Lucas Raymond, uh, if he manages to take the next step this year, and if Dylan Larkin manages to continue to play at his torrid pace, maybe even a little better with a guy like Debrinkit, I would say that that a 40 goal season would be a pretty reasonable ask, Mm -hmm. but, but I would be totally okay with a 60 goal season. Let me be clear on that. Well, yeah. I mean, if he doesn't come anywhere near Stevie Y numbers, then he's an automatic plug. Right. Right. All of them. Uh, Bums. (laughs) Yeah. Now, of course, coming to Ottawa in the Debrinket shed is Dominic Kubelik. As a Red Wings fan, what can you tell the Ottawa fan base about Kubelik? I think there are going to be times where you're going to have him and he's going to be on like a scoring tear and you're going to be like, oh my God, like this is the guy we won the trade. He's great. Uh, I don't ever want to get rid of him. And then there's going to be like a 15 to 20 game slate where he'll score maybe a couple points, but he won't really like leap off the board. And you're just going to be like, all right, buddy, like time to pick it up. Let's, let's get it going. Um, So I would say like probably a good 45 to 40 point, like third line guy, good on the power play. You know, if you get him the chance to score, he's more likely to do it. So I would recommend doing that. <laughs> um, but other than that, I mean, he's he's a good scoring threat. And I think that you guys came away with something that could still work. Yeah, and that's what I think Ottawa fans really want. Because I think when we landed to bring Kit last summer, a lot of fans were kind of hoping like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the big piece. We're going to keep him. And I was of the mindset of like, he might only be here maybe one year, if that and I think what's really disheartening about Debrinka as a senator was the comments he made the other day of the, as of this recording, where he openly stated, he's like, yeah, I'll admit, I mean, there were some scoring chances I straight up just gave up on. It's like, you Oh, I haven't seen that interview. I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, there were some plays that I gave up on. And I'm, you know, I hope to be a more of a 200 foot player like I was in Chicago and Detroit. And you could just see the Sens fans were just livid. They're like, really yeah i imagine you guys took that really well (laughs) oh yeah because i don't know when the red wings come up to ottawa for the first time this season they're gonna let them have it you will never hear a course of booze like that for a while i'm look i'm very much looking forward to that game honestly i was thinking of making a trip up for that game um i feel like if there's any that you would want to watch this season it would be the budding rivalry between those two teams which really surprises me because Ottawa and Detroit, I mean, for two teams that really have no history, it's amazing in the last couple of seasons. Like you said, the budding rivalry, what we seem to have now. Well, you've got this, um, I don't know what you call it. Like they're like competing brothers. You know what I mean? They're both pushing for the same spot. Uh, like last year, we both fought like hell for fifth place. <laughs> um, but like, you know, they're both young teams. They're on the come up. They're both trying to make names for themselves. Uh, and then you've got Buffalo, who 
I don't know what to make of Buffalo. I feel like they should be a playoff team, but this is Buffalo we're talking about here. So um, I think that, yeah, the three of us, the three, those three teams are going to be causing a lot of problems for each other in the future. Now with the bring kit acquisition for the Red Wings, they also signed them to a long-term extension as a Wings fan. Like what did you overall feel about the extension? Uh, you know what? Honestly, I think it was pretty team friendly. That's the, I thought it was good term, good price tag. Um, you know, ideally I would have liked five years, but who wouldn't? Um, but it's taking him through his prime scoring years. We're getting a better idea of whether we've got the Chicago to bring it or the Ottawa to bring it. Um, and then by that point, we'll have freed up enough space to potentially sign other players if he doesn't pan out. Yeah. And I think that's what I was kind of thinking about when I saw the extension with the Red Wings is, you know, you saw how he played in Ottawa where, it didn't, I don't want to say it didn't look like he gave his all all every night, but if he goes to Detroit now that he is the top guy and he doesn't match with Dylan Larkin, I'm sitting there going, that's going to be a big contract that you may have to move if it doesn't work out. I'd say right now we're doing pretty well as far as salary goes too. Um, we've got a lot of space still. We're going to sign, I mean, I imagine Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond are going to sign either identical deals or deals that are fairly similar. Uh, and then we're going to slowly have old money come off the contract or come off the books, like the Justin Abdelkader buyout. Um, I imagine you're going to see Ben Sherratt in a couple of years, Justin Holland, a few. Um, you know, there's there's going to be money that disappears just as quickly as it appears. Now, even though we spent all this time talking about Alex Dabrinkit, the Red Wings did bring in a couple of more players. JT Comfort was one. Christian Fisher was one. Shane Godgespear. Overall, when talking about the other acquisitions, like what did you think when those moves were made? Uh, I kept looking at my phone and going, wait, we signed who? Wait, we did? Wait, again? Another signing? I mean, it feels like this is the second year in a row where we've just snatched up as many free agents as we could. I think as far as like a scale of one to ten, I'm feeling like a good seven and a half, eight, like a light eight. Uh, I'm optimistic about a lot of guys. I think that Justin Hole is actually going to be a little better than we'd expect because he's away from the prying eyes of Toronto media. Like, you know, you've seen guys like Nazem Kadri um, and, you know, just Pierre Engvall even. Like, the moment they get their eyes, the Toronto eyes off of them, they're thriving. They're making these huge plays. You know, they're stepping up. I mean, Kadri got, what, 100 points, like, the year after he left? Shoot, I would be too. Um, And in this role with the Red Wings, he's not going to be asked to pair with, like, Morgan Riley. He's not going to be asked to do, like, crazy things. He'll be able to, you know, chill out a bit, uh, have a little more space to himself. Yeah, so I'd say yeah, I'm I'm not the most excited for him. I'm a little leery. I'd say of all the signings, um, Shane Gostaspare is the one I'm really excited for. Spoken to a few few friends in like the Philly media, and they were huge fans of him. They said he's got great energy. He's a good offensive minded defenseman, and I think he's going to provide some good scoring depth and some good power play potential from the defensive line. And what are you even making about all this social media chatter about? fans criticizing Steve Eiserman and the quote-unquote Iser plan. I think if you're not like an active Red Wings fan or you're not like, you know, regularly following all these little intricacies and moves he's made, I don't think you're really going to see the full picture. You're not going to know what's going on from an outsider standpoint. You know, he came into a situation with a completely depleted prospect pool. Philip Zadina was our best prospect when he started. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not like great at all um you know after 25 years of consistent success you know four stanley cups of course it had to all be torn down to start over 
these things take time. Building a perennial contender isn't like football or basketball where you can do it in just a couple of years. Like if you want to build somebody in the cap era that's consistently winning and consistently staying in the loop like Tampa, you've got to not only get, you know, good draft depth draft picks, you've got to build a system that continues to churn them out. And you did mention a name there, Philip Sedina. With all the acquisitions, seeing a guy like Philip Sedina getting bought out, it really did give some critics towards DBY because I know at the time he was drafted, I know a lot of Senators fans were mad that he didn't get taken over Brady. But overall, I mean, looking back, why did he not work out as a Red Wing? Was it an attitude problem? Was it they rushed him? What was the issue there? You know, we can still trade, by the way. If you want him, we'll take Brady off your hands. I I know you guys really hate him. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, like, I would say he's the most unlucky player I've ever seen in my life. I mean, this kid will be, like, solid on the defensive end. He'll be, like, a, a pretty, you know, he has all of the tools he needs. But I think he gets in his head more than any other player I've ever, I've ever seen. Like he will, his hands will just turn to stone the moment he gets the puck or he'll shoot and he'll just miss like no other. Uh, I just don't understand why it wasn't a little easier for him. I think it was, I think maybe it it was just really high pressure. Um, I've been pretty hard on him on social media because he seems to be given endless excuses by um, our fan base. You know, if you gave, like he, he had plenty of years to like grow and develop and really you know, we gave him all of the tools he needed to succeed, but um, it just didn't pan out. You know, I wish him good luck in San Jose. I think he's going to have a lot less pressure on him, but I just don't know if he's got what it takes to score at that level. Maybe he'll be a good defensive forward, but um, I just, it seems like his IQ just flies out the window the moment he gets the puck. Well, do you think it was a detriment to him when he got drafted by the Wings when he openly stated that he's going to fill the Sens and Habs nets with pucks? <laughs> you were waiting to pull that one on me, weren't you? Um, yeah, you know, all Greek tragedies start with hubris. So uh, I think that he came in a little uh, too hot out the gate. And then when he couldn't adjust, things just became too much for him. I wish him the best, but you know, if you if you want to be one of those top players, you've got to beat out those those good players to earn your spot on the roster. Yeah. Well, as your time as a Red Wings fan, Jake, can you think of another prospect the Wings have had that just never panned out the way that Sadina did? Can I ever? Um, you know who Tomas Yurko is? Oh yes. Yeah. He was he was set to be the next guy. I mean, he was he had all the time in the world, but I think the organization actually put too much pressure on him. I think he got two in his head and I think that he fell apart as a result and his confidence was just destroyed. Um, I think he'd probably be my top pick. I mean, you've got a couple other guys. Jakob Kindle was going to be like a, you know, top pairing guy. Didn't really pan out. Uh, Danny DeKaiser, honestly, I think could have been a phenomenal player if he didn't get injured so much when he was at the start of his career, those first four or five years, he was out of this world. And then he got all these leg and knee injuries and, you know, he just wasn't able to keep up. Still love him though. Yeah. It's kind of like with Kyle Quincy. Yeah. Yep. Kyle Quincy's another one. Uh, or, you know who I still love though, who I, I will, I love name first off naming guys. One of the best things about sports. <laughs> it's like um, that meme, eh? It's like guys can just sit around and naming sports figures all day long. <laughs> my, my guy I always name is Brendan Smith. 
the most low IQ play I've ever seen in my life. It's the playoffs against the Bruins. A puck flies by, and Brendan, who is sitting on the bench, leans forward and catches the puck midair. They get a penalty. Wings lose the game as a result. Christ. <laughs> I just love him. He's he's so dumb. There was a point in the series where he like tried to get in uh Zidane O'Chara's face. And this is like prime Chara, you know, like when he's at his scariest. And there's a video of Smith trying to get all up in his face, and Chara just starts laughing and pushing him away. And he's like, You're you're not ready. You don't want this. <laughs> Who's your who's your guy? Oh, who's who's my guy on the Sens? Besides Gulk. Gulk? I mean Gulk is just <laughs> lost, man. What can I say? I don't know. That's a good question. I would have to think about this because I mean there's so many guys, especially in our run with the show. I mean, there's so many guys that I like naming like Yerky Yokopaka was one. Mm-hmm. That was the best name right there. I love a great that. name. Elite. It's such an elite name between him. I mean Tyler Ennis, the short king. We loved him. Magnus, oh yeah, I remember him. Magnus PRV, the bud, the buds, uh, bud buster. That's what I called him. <laughs> um, who's the one guy? Oh, Eric Brandstrom. I know some people really like him, and Brand? then some people really don't. <laughs> yeah, Brandstrom. I mean, he is a guy that I don't want to say he's polarizing. He definitely has his fan base, but I think he's one of those guys that it's hard to say what exactly he is. Because he can show flashes of what, like, okay, this is the guy that we traded for. And then he has nights where he's just sort of there. Do you guys think that um, that Jake Sanderson contract was smart yet? Or do you think it's a bit of a gamble? Ooh, good question. I'm going to say, based on that very small sample, it's great. But you're paying money on the hope that he continues that. Yeah, because if that pans out, I mean, that's going to be one of the biggest steals, but can also go the other way. I mean, at that point, you guys are at the point where you got to go big or go home, right? Yeah, and not go big like the least where you throw, you know, 10 plus million dollars at a player. You sure you don't want a 30-year-old John Tavares? You sure he's not going to save the team? <laughs> no. And you know what's funny is that we've talked about Tavares on this show, and it's just, you look at it now, and you're like, what? role and what hole did that fill other than oh it's kind of like with Claude Giroux coming it's the Claude Giroux signing it's, yeah but you guys only got him for what two three years rather than eight I think we got him for three I think we got him for three years and yet he had like one of his best seasons in the NHL last year yeah he did great um yeah the Tavares it's just so like because they had Kadri at the second line I don't know I don't understand. Can't you Canadians make no sense sometimes? <laughs> oh, I know. We're all kinds of backwards up here as with our metric system and oh, your healthcare, free healthcare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you might be waiting six hours for it, but damn it, you're gonna get it for free. <laughs> uh, Too funny. That's funny. That's funny. So I do have one more guy I want to talk about here. Talk about big contracts is Dylan Larkin, and I know that he's been a guy that the Wings fans. I know even some media, I mean, they were thinking, is he going to stay? Is he going to go? I know he's a hometown kid. Like, what do you think about that big extension for him? I think he wasn't going anywhere. Um, And I think anybody who knew him and, like, you know, watched him play over the last few years knew he wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, I think that he's, like, the glue of the team. I don't think that your captain has to be, uh, you know, I'm of the opinion that your captain doesn't have to be the best player on your team. 
take a look at like Colorado with Gabe Landeskog. I don't think he's even like the top three guy on the team, but he's still like one of their key guys. Um, Larkin is like that. I mean, you watch him in a game and he's the one giving his all every shift. He's the one blocking shots, you know, get, opening up passing lanes, even hitting if he needs to or getting in someone's face and fighting. Um, so I'm very happy with that contract. And I think that whoever, maybe it's the Islanders, maybe somebody else is going to just totally ask for a crazy value on like Matt Barzal because of that. Wait, Matt Barzal did get signed, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Oh, yeah, because because of the contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's been a long off season. Oh, I know. It's been one of those off seasons where it's such a whirlwind of like, wow, who got signed? This person left. This person's going who? Where now? Literally, I looked at the Dallas Stars roster the other day and I was like, who are these people? <laughs> yeah. God, it's like being a Sens fan now with all of these hirings and people buying the team. It's like, what is going on here? This is not like us. We yeah, do you have Ryan Reynolds or what's the deal? No, unfortunately, Ryan didn't buy the team, but we got a guy who openly stated that he can throw out all of his Habs gear now. So interesting. Is this what? Who is it? Drake? No, I'm just kidding. Drake's a Leafs fan. Oh my God. Can you imagine if Drake was a Habs fan? Drake, he would be the most annoying Habs fan in the world. And that's, that's like a huge competition right there, too. Who do you think would be the most annoying Habs fan? Out of all the Canadians in the world? Or even just like famous people, because there is actually a couple of them out there. It'd have to be somebody like kind of smug. Mm. Or like a guy who just parties a lot. Doug Ford. <laughs> isn't he i think he's dead now though is he well doug isn't he the mayor of uh was that rob, rob ford that's rob he, ford that's his name rob ford that's the guy who i was thinking of <laughs> I know. I just don't ask a lot of ontarians about that yet no but having him as a habs fan would be hilarious because then it feels like one big insider plot you know yeah <laughs> I am so happy, though, with our new owner, though. He seems like such a guy you want to run through a wall for, so. That's great, yeah. I know a thing or two about that. I mean, Dan Campbell's the coach of the Lions, and, you know, you hear one speech from him and you could do anything. Well, okay, let me ask you. Could you drink <laughs> 1,100 milligrams of caffeine a day? I genuinely have no idea how he does it. Um, For those who aren't familiar, the head coach of the Detroit Lions, Dan Campbell, has a pretty unique coffee routine. He gets two venti coffees, so, you know, that's 40 ounces of coffee. And then two shots of espresso in each of them. So that's, I mean, four shots of espresso, two 20 ounce coffees, like, like that, that could kill an animal. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> I don't know. Unless you've worked in kitchens for years. I mean, that's the only way I can see you actually having that. Tell and he gets them both in the morning too. So it's not like he's spreading it out throughout the day. He's probably just slamming it all on the way to work. Ooh, do you think he's a nice coffee guy? I can see it. He's like, you know, man, I, I wake up every morning with my iced coffee. <laughs> then I go out there and I win. <laughs> oh, that was so great. <laughs> Honestly, I just see him chugging those two venti iced coffees and he's running around like the ultimate warrior. <laughs> well, like, so there's footage of him at Hard Knocks where he's like doing the workouts with the guys. Yeah. And all I could think about was a few years ago when we had Matt Patricia and he just sat around on that big four-wheeler yelling, like, you know, exercises for people. Oh, God. Did you ever watch the urinating tree on the Detroit Lions? No, I didn't. Okay, there's one great uh, quote he talks about uh, Matt Patricia where he's given shit to the reporter with his bad posture. 
He goes, bitch, you look like a um, middle school public or PE teacher that has adult water on his desk. <laughs> I will always appreciate Matt Patricia Slander. Yeah, me too. I'm not even a Lions fan and I appreciate it. <laughs> so, Jake, I do have one more question here before we head off into the close. And it's a question that I've asked Leaf fans about because I know on social media, when the Hockey Hall of Fame induction came out, Every people were talking about, oh, why is Curtis Joseph not in the Hall of Fame? And I said, Toronto fans are the only fan base that wants him in the Hall of Fame. It would be like if Chris Osgood went in because of the Red Wings want it. Now, I got to ask you, as a Red Wings fan, would you agree they're the only fan base that would want a guy like Chris Osgood in? Yeah, I maybe say so. But like the thing that I keep thinking about is like if, you know, if they induct a guy like Corey Crawford and they don't induct Chris Osgood, I, I think it's like the whole thing is bunk, you know, um, because I think they're of the same caliber player. You know, they're players from like, you know, a great era of that team's history, you know, a good goalie on a stacked team. Um, Curtis Joseph maybe could be similar to that, but I don't know if it's the same like tier as as an Osgood or um, or even Crawford. I don't know. Like with Cujo, I mean, heck, Cujo was a Red Wing. I mean, as yeah. just... I don't see it. I think the only reason that people want him in the Hall of Fame is because he was a Toronto Maple Leaf. I think he belongs in the Hall of Very Good. I, th- I think all three of the goalies I mentioned belong in the Hall of Very Good. Whether or not, I don't think they're Hall of Fame tier, but they're like right there, you know? Yeah. Well, look at Mike Vernon, right? He won the Cup in 97 and the Conn Smythe, and he never got in for 20 years. Yeah, now he's here. So, I mean, if Mike Vernon can get in, then shoot. Yeah, I'm, I'm Team Osgood. I keep flip-flopping. <laughs> oh i know i know it just it just depends on like i think for me it depends on like what the requirements of the hall of fame are and like who has already been uh you know added into the hall of fame or inducted in like i think the fact that henrik zetterberg hasn't been inducted is you know a crime and i think most hockey fans would agree with that yeah that's true i mean but zetterberg is one of those guys that I think as an outsider, I think he went a little too under the radar for some people where he may not be considered that because incredibly he, underrated player. Exactly. Yeah. He doesn't have really any individual awards. He was on he's the con Smythe. He's got, um, did he win the, oh, that's right. He did. Win yeah. The- and I mean that, that whole 08 series, like he, he basically ruined Sidney Crosby's life. Like, like there was not a single other player who's ever been able to put a stop to Crosby in his prime like Zetterberg. Well, what about that one guy who hit him in the outdoor game? Oh, yeah, that too. (laughs) Oh, man, I swear, I think we spent this whole segment just slandering players. Oh, dude, I have a good player slander story. I went to one of the Winter Classics in 2020, and we're getting so excited. My friend who's taking me is a Stars fan, and she keeps telling me about this one player on their roster, this really tough guy who's not going to take any shit, and how he's going to you know really embarrassed the Preds like this guy has got what it takes and I keep thinking to myself yeah I don't think Corey Perry is going to do much (laughs) five minutes into the game yep (laughs) he does the you know he gets the game misconduct and he does the walk of shame and the whole rest of the game I kept turning to her and going Corey Crawford is looking dangerous tonight yeah look at him whoa (laughs) where was where is not Corey Crawford Corey Perry (laughs) Oh my god! The only thing that could have made that clip better of Corey Perry walking off the ice if they played the the ukulele theme from SpongeBob. Oh, or like uh the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, God. This has been a great J segment, Jake, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do this. Now, before we head off, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find the 313 Hockey Podcast? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter until it dies or until they start making us pay for it. Uh, I am Rivard NHL. You can also find our show at 313 Hockey on any of your favorite podcast outlets. We've got a pretty big following on Twitter where we post funny things. Uh, and you can find me on the streets of Chicago uh, yelling at Blackhawks fans or getting catcalled for wearing a Wings jersey. And the final question that I'm asking everybody who are doing these segments, at the end of the 2023-24 season, how do you see your team finishing in the Atlantic? Well, it's going to be one of two things. They're either going to make the playoffs or they're not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> um, I would say it'd be nice if they make the playoffs, but I mean, look at our division. Look at that. You've got to be better than one of Tampa, Toronto, Boston, Florida, or Ottawa, or even Buffalo. Yeah. Um, you got to be better than two. Yeah, you got to be better than a few. Tampa doesn't have their goalie, so. Yeah, I mean, it could. It's it's anyone's game. So I say uh, step up to the plate. Let's see what you can do. Closing out the American segment of our season preview show representing the Buffalo Sabres is the host of the Sabres podcast, Straight Up Senators. Please welcome to the show, Taylor Nigrelli. Taylor, how's it going, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's going good. I am very excited, not only because this is the first time you're going to be on the podcast, but this is the first time that we've been doing the show since 2017. We have another Taylor on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's always an exciting uh, exciting event. We haven't had the pleasure to have that on our show yet, but hopefully someday. Yeah, I know my co-host and I, we were talking about this before you jumped on. It was like, in the history we've done this, we've not had a Taylor and we've not had a Tim. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Shouldn't be that hard. Maybe, maybe you guys get on someday. What about Stutzel? Ooh, maybe. We hope. We hope. <laughs> yeah, that's something to shoot for. Oh, believe me, man. I, would I think he it. gets. I think he gets priority on first name if we have him on the show. <laughs> well, no, because he would go by Jimmy, not Timmy. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So Taylor, one thing I love doing with this podcast, anytime that we get somebody new on that we've never chatted with, either they're a blogger or a podcaster, we love asking them how they became to work for the blog or start their podcast for yourself. Startup savers, I'd love to hear from yourself. How did the show come about? So Brendan, my co-host, Brendan Orr, and I have actually known each other for for like forever, for like 20-something years uh, from the same neighborhood and all that and went to the same high school. So I've been friends with him forever. And honestly, we were going to, I think, either a Sabres game or scrimmage or preseason game or something like that, uh, probably in like 2016, 2017. And we were talking about all the kinds of different stuff. And I was like, wow, we should just do a podcast because – I, uh, I used to be in sports writing and I didn't have much of an outlet at the moment for like writing about pro sports or hockey or whatever. So I thought I'd do the podcast. We actually didn't start it as a Sabres podcast. It was just a general sports and pop culture podcast called Rick's Reviews. 
And then a couple years later, the Hockey Podcast Network asked us to do a Sabres podcast for them. So we switched it to that. That was actually called Blue and Gold Make Darlene. So <laughs> after, a, uh, after a year of that, even though I really liked that title, uh, it wasn't great for SEO. So the Hockey Podcast Network asked us to change it. So it became straight up Sabres. So we've been doing that. So we've been with the network. This is our fifth season coming up, I want to say. But we've been doing it overall since 2017. Nice. Now you were talking about like you have a background in sports writing. Were you writing for any of the Sabre blogs or just as a general sports writer? Uh, so I was my day job was covering high school sports in the Buffalo area, but I was writing for I was writing hockey for the the comeback, which is a like a sister site to awful announcing. I used to write like basically hockey based articles for them. That was kind of like once or twice a month, basically at the time. Now we are going to talk a lot about the current day Buffalo Sabres. Now, before we get into that, unfortunately we got to talk about something very sad. A few weeks ago, we received the unfortunate news of the passing of longtime Sabre play-by-play guy, Rick Jenneret. Given your history as a Sabres fan, Taylor, I want to get your thoughts on Rick Jenneret. So it's hard to overstate how important Jenneret was to the Sabres. I think more than anyone, he's basically the face of the franchise, or at least he was. Like the Sabres have had obviously so many players, players come and go. They've had 20 or so coaches. They've had a double digit amount of GMs. They've had four ownership groups, two arenas. But for the longest time, he was really the constant presence. He wasn't actually around for the first season in 1970, but like he became the radio guy in 71. Ended up taking over as the TV announcer as well in, I want to say, 92 or 93. And basically since then, um, from then until 2022, he was the guy. And there's, you know, there's the famous calls that I think most every hockey fan knows, uh, which are incredible. And it's great to have so many of the great moments of the franchise have their own soundtrack. But it was also just like the day to day. There's so many hockey games in the season, and we can be honest, even as people that like hockey, they're not all very exciting, uh, especially when your team is not very good. And it was just he was a great guy to spend two and a half or three hours with. Uh, and, you know, by all accounts, he was a really good guy, too. He was a fun guy. And he's really a throwback to the kind of announcer you don't really get anymore. He wasn't really classically trained. He actually just became an announcer because uh, he was at a junior game and the other announcer was sick and someone was like, hey, you want to be the announcer? And he did. And uh, he, he really just wanted to be a disc jockey. So he ended up getting up better jobs and then eventually the Sabres job. And he's probably in his, I don't know, maybe early 30s and then did that for 50 years, more than 51 years. Uh, and he's you, it kind of came through that he wasn't really classically trained, but he was kind of a, a prodigy. Like and he's he was really unique. Um, I compared to uh, hit the Mayday call uh, when he died. The first thing I thought of was like, this is like like Steph Curry pulling up from half court in the NBA. Like no one would teach you to do that ever. So you have to just have it within you to do it. And I think that was both good for him to just go with his instincts, but it was also like the lack of polish was great. Like it was really fun. He used to drink during games. He had, he had a great time. He, there was a, you know, a lot of, you know, calls that would probably be considered, you know, too homerish or unprofessional maybe by modern standards, considering every broadcaster go seems to go to, you know, one of three colleges, every American broadcaster, I should say. <clears throat> and they just it kind of all feel like the same guy. So you really felt like a unique guy. And the last thing I could say that I'm not sure if this happens a lot of other places, but back when the Sabres used to actually make the playoffs, I'm thinking of 06 and 07 specifically, people in Buffalo used to turn off the volume on their TV 
like turn off the at, at that time i think it was oln or versus it was probably doc emmerich they would turn off the volume and then turn up the radio so they could hear generat even though the audio and video didn't match up so that was <laughs> yeah so he meant a lot and it's it's sad to see him go but he had a great send-off i was actually there in person to see it last year the end of the 2022 season he put both in a night where they raised his banner and that was great he was uh he, he was really emotional during it. It was great. Uh, a lot of people came back, alumni and coaches and stuff, to see that packed house, and they won. And then his final game, he came back out on the ice. I was also there for that. They won in overtime. He came out to the ice and got a standing ovation. So at least he got a good send-off. Well, unfortunately, we, like we didn't know at the time that uh, he would pass away. But given that the Sabres only missed the playoffs by, I believe, two points last year, was that an even more of a bigger gut punch that Rick never got to see the Sabres make the playoffs one last time? Yeah, that was tough. I mean, he wouldn't have been around anyway, like as a announcer, he was in a, he's retired and he was kind of in a bad way health wise, but it probably would have been cool for him to see them just, you know, to know that they'd kind of turn things around and, and see them make the playoffs one last time. Even if he was just watching from home, I'm sure that would have been just a really nice thing for him. So yeah, that, that definitely hurts a little bit. When talking about New York sportscasters, and I'm including Buffalo, given that they're up in upstate New York, and I know that you you could be a bit biased or being a Sabres fan, but could you make an argument that Rick Jenneret was one of the most, if not the most, prominent or well-known announcers in New York State? That's a good question, because I think there's such a just dis- distinct separation between Buffalo and New York City, just because... It is like a six-hour drive. It's it's a uh, and it's it's like a different world, basically the, the two different places. But I think you have to say like Sterling and, and Michael K at the very least are are more well known, especially in America. I, I feel like Generat is almost more known in Canada overall than the United States, like outside of Buffalo. I mean, I mean there's the hockey fans known for sure, but there's obviously just so many more hockey fans in Canada. Uh, like I, I think, for example, when they did. Um, in like 07, they sold this, it was like it raised money for charity, but it was a DVD that was basically a documentary on him and showed a bunch of his best calls. It was called Top Shelf. And so many of the people they had on were Canadian people because partially because some parts of Canada got Buffalo broadcast in Southern Ontario, but also people that had a lot of respect for him, like the, this, uh, CBC people like you know the Hockey Night in Canada people. So I think he might almost be bigger there. As far as New York goes, yeah, I think I think you'd have to say he's easily the biggest in Buffalo history, but New York City's just so big and like like for example, you know, like I said being 6 hours away, I get the Yes network. I hear Michael K, everyone in New Jersey and Connecticut and New York does and he's he's like and John Sterling is in the same boat. So I'm, that might even be I haven't even thought about the other New York teams, but they're just so much bigger. So they those those guys definitely get heard by more Americans at the very least. Well, one name you failed to mention was Sam Rosen. Yeah, that's that's a good example. Yeah, like they just they their fan base must be five or six times the size of the Sabres fan base. So at the very least, you know, that's uh, it's it's just it's kind of hard to compete with, I guess. Now, one final thing about Rick Jenner Red, and when we had the editor in chief of Die by the Blade on last year, we got to ask what her favorite call was of Rick Jenneret's. So I'm going to ask you: Do you have a favorite Rick Jenneret call? So I think. Mayday is the obvious answer, and I think it's his best call. Um, I think the one that I well, I was just thinking about one. Now I'm forgetting what it was that kind of after he died that I thought about a lot. I think uh, the, 
the coolest sounding one might be when they beat the senators in the first round in 97 and i'm sorry about that i didn't even think about that while i was saying the first person to say it yeah well it's been more it's been more than 25 years if it helps i don't even remember it i was four uh but they they scored and uh they were gonna play philadelphia and he did the are you ready legion of doom here come the buffalo sabers but one that i actually think about a lot it's not really the overall call even though it's a good call uh in the playoffs in 06 it was the game one of the series against the Flyers. It was the first round for the Sabres. In overtime, Brian Campbell hits RJ Umberger. And the call is good, but like it's the beginning of the call where he's just it just shows that he's as much of a fan as he's an announcer when he just does the like what a hit by Campbell. And like he just makes this like guttural uh noise <laughs> at the beginning. Um so that that's up there. Yeah, there's there's a, a lot of ones that um I think one of my ones that's underrated you don't see on the highlights is and i was kind of teasing this earlier but when he was in quebec so this is the band late 80s early 90s before they moved uh where they announced him in their old arena was basically just right in the middle of where the fans were and someone some quebec fan just took his beer and in the middle of like announcing the play he was like hey that guy stole my beer <laughs> and like someone gave it back to him and he like kind of announced the whole saga during the game it's incredible i've never actually heard about this yeah, it's I don't know where the audio is of it, but it's uh it's a it's a really funny moment. That's amazing. That is amazing. You wanna see if you can find that and put it in post? I, I'm gonna have to now. I am gonna have to scour the internet and find this clip because I'm excited. I wanna know. I wanna hear this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, honestly, because it's a really it's a really cool uh moment. I've only seen it in like print, like people uh printing like what he exactly said so hopefully it's out there so let's move on let's talk about the current day buffalo sabers and we're talking about last season i think the buffalo sabers surprised a lot of people by making within two points of making the playoffs last year unfortunately losing out to florida coming into this season is this the first year in I don't know how long the Buffalo fans can legitimately think, oh my God, we're going to be a playoff team. Yeah, I think it hasn't been a reasonable thing to really expect since the 2011-12 season. I think uh, it's it's been over a decade, definitely, since it's been a reasonable ask to make the playoffs. And at this point, I think it's the time where they really have to make it. They This second rebuild whatever you would call it. <laughs> it it started in 2021 and it things have gone pretty well uh, as well as they could have expected they went from in the in the covid shortened 2021 season that was kind of the weird division only season uh they were terrible they were the worst team in the league and if you extrapolate it out to a full season they would have had like 50 points and then the next year they had 75 which was a nice surprise and this year having 91 or 92 whatever it was 91 that was also kind of a nice surprise so I think it's really incumbent on them to take the next step and actually make the playoffs. So I think it is reasonable for the fans to expect that and the organization to expect it of itself. Uh, but yeah, like to your point, it's been a while. Like honestly, the last time was an off season where they signed Christian Erhoff, um, Billy Leno and Robin Regera. So that was, that tells you how long it's been since this has been the expectation. Yeah. And for Sabres fans, I, I really want to know this because the Florida Panthers squeaked out Buffalo to make the final playoffs about last year. Was that the biggest gut punch in the world that they made the playoffs and then went to the finals? Um, So I think the real gut punch aspect of it for me is that the Sabres played Florida within the last couple weeks of the season. 
And not only was it a one goal game, it was a one goal game where the Sabres had a goal called back because Alex Tuck's foot was like an inch or two offside. So it was just like the kind of the closest offside review you could get kind of the goal that would never have been called back if there was an offside review. And that was just that, that part was a good punch to me that making the cup wasn't really just because what made Florida, one of the things that made Florida a 92 ish point team, instead of like a 120 point team, like the year prior was that Bobrowski really wasn't that good in the regular season. And then all of a sudden he was, but that's because he was capable of doing that. I think when you're looking at the Sabres, they somehow at the end of the season were carrying four goalies. Uh, it was 42-year-old Craig Anderson, who never played more than once a week, basically during the season. Uh, less than half his age, Devin Levi, who had played like seven of eight games near the end of the year, uh, which I'm sure was a tough workload for a guy who's just gotten out of college. And then UPL, Ukapekalukinen and Irakami, who both just been kind of bad and have never really had a good long stretch in the NHL. So Pavrowski, as unlikely as it seemed going to the playoffs for him to do that, he was actually capable of doing it. And Florida did have a better roster than the Sabres, a better, more balanced roster. I would just say they they underachieved in the regular season and the Sabres kind of overachieved but maybe a little bit, or maybe they just properly achieved based on their talent. But yeah, it, it, it didn't really sting, especially because I got to say, beating Boston and then Toronto and then Carolina, that was, <laughs> I kind of had to root for them in every series. One of the things that we've talked about here on the show in the past, Taylor, has really been when, especially when you look at cities like Buffalo and New Jersey, when the opposing fans come and it's like half the buildings, either Leaf fans or Habs fans, the Buffalo Sabres did something this offseason. I always wanted to ask a Sabre fan about this because they ended up restricting opposing fans in the pre-sale of the tickets. Now, I want to know for you, like, what was your feeling when you read this story? So I think it's interesting that they're taking this step in general. Uh, I know they're not the first team to do this. And I know Nashville has done something similar, and I think maybe Tampa Bay as well. Um, but it's it's interesting because for a few years, the Sabres kind of just had not this problem at all, really. They just they they had no one in the building, <laughs> basically, of any fan base. So it, it didn't really matter, and they weren't good. But uh, yeah, last year was interesting that they didn't really – they their attendance improved a lot, but not – to the extent you would probably expect. And yeah, when Montreal, to some extent Ottawa, but especially when Montreal and Toronto are in town, it could get overwhelming. I just wonder what kind of effect it's going to have because my understanding of Toronto fans, especially taking over the arena, is that it's secondary market. So uh, season ticket holders sell the Toronto fans at like kind of a big premium. It helps them pay for their season tickets. So I, I wonder if you can really cut down on that. As far as the presale, uh, I I think I, I said this actually on a Twitter spaces recently. I kind of want to see how it plays out before I have too much of a reaction. I understand what they're doing, but I can't say I feel that strongly either way. Like I, I, it's cool. It'd be great to have, I, I think a great balance would be like 80, 85% Sabres fans. And then a solid, even solid uh, visiting fan base amount. But it's tough when some of these teams, it's like 50, 50. And that's that's not great. And it's, it's Toronto's. It's especially bad when Toronto's here. Uh, so I, I kind of want to see them try to curtail that. But I do still enjoy having um, at, at least some visiting fans in the arena. Uh, it, it's always cool just to see like one of the many things like how often am I in Buffalo going to meet someone from Vancouver? And also, how often am I going to see a person 
where like a I can think of a good example right now, but like what am I going to see like an Edler jersey in person or one of these like jerseys from like 12 or 15 years ago that people are like, well, I'm not getting a new one, but I am going to the game. So I got to wear it. I enjoy that aspect of it a lot. But yeah, I guess to answer your regular point, I guess I'll know more after the season. <laughs> yeah, well, it really goes down to people watching when you go to games and you see some of the jerseys they wear and it's like, wow, I didn't think anybody had that jersey. Yeah. And I know people think that of me because I, I I only have bought, I think, one new Sabres jersey in the last decade and it was Eichel, so I can't wear it. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's I didn't get much use out of it, unfortunately, but I have like a Nathan Gerby jersey. I'd wear these and I'm sure a lot of people are like, well, at what point was it ever a good idea to buy that? And it never was, but I have one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not like you own a short King jersey like Tyler Ennis. <laughs> no, yeah. Unfortunately, I I don't own an Ennis jersey. That'd be a fun one. It would. It would be a fun one. Now, one thing I do want to ask. Now, we have heard from Sens fans in the past when the Leafs co- do come to Ottawa and when Montreal fans come to Ottawa, their experience with the fan base. Like, when those two fan bases come to Buffalo, what has been your experience with them in the arena? Uh. Toronto is the one that stands out the most. And I think it's, it's partly because they're like, it, they'll literally get to the point where it's like 60% Toronto fans. Uh, and they're very loud, obviously, but Toronto fans, uh, I don't want to say like, they're like a monolith or anything, but they, they do tend to be like v- very loud, very rowdy. Uh, like, especially when it's like a Saturday game, like a lot of drunk people there, uh, which it, you know, for the bill's reputation, uh, around the sports world, you don't really get that much at Sabres games. I don't think it's not nearly as rowdy, uh, but Toronto fans, those games are pretty rowdy. Like there was a day after Thanksgiving game a couple years ago uh, that Buffalo and Toronto played. So it was like a 3 p.m. start and that w- it was crazy. And it was a 6-5 Sabres win. But like I saw like guys get like literally dragged out by security. It, it was it was insane. And I, I kind of wonder, I, I was told by a Maple Leafs fan in Buffalo one time that most people that come to Sabres games can't get tickets at Scotiabank because it's just really hard. Like there's so many fans and it's not a very big building. So they jack up the ticket prices. It's just, it's almost cheaper to come to Buffalo hang out there for a day and go to a game. So I think it's kind of like there, this is, I'm going to see the Maple Leafs like once this year, I'm going to make the most of it. It gets pretty wild. As far as other opposing fans, I've never gotten a strong negative reaction people and Canadians fans in particular, I've noticed I've been to a few Canadians games, a few even that the Sabres have lost, and they've always been pretty uh pretty friendly, pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean I only got the chance to see one home Ottawa game against Montreal and I I felt the Montreal fans were great. Yeah, yeah, that, I think I've seen them probably the second most behind Toronto. I mean, I've seen like most fan bases by now, but I, I guess most of them just don't really leave as much of an impact because <laughs> it's hard to stand out when it's, you know, it's 15% rather than like three quarters of the arena. Right. Do you want to jump in with a question, Tim? Yeah, yeah. So uh, in a bit of Senators news, uh, Jake Sanderson's signed an 8 by 8 contract. What impact do you think that has on Dallin and much of the rest of the Buffalo defense corps that has their contracts up next season? Uh, so I think it, I, it, to me, it seems like more of a comparable to power because 
if I'm not mistaken, Sanderson played one year before his contract. He's played yep. mostly just so power. Yeah, Powers played one year and then like a seven game sample at the end uh, when his Michigan season ended at the end of 21, 22. So pretty comparable. And he's also a very high draft pick, obviously. Uh, so I think I don't know if Power is going to be looking at eight by eight. I wouldn't be surprised. I also wouldn't be surprised if he looked at that and said, I'd rather get a bridge and try to make more money in three or four years. But I think, yeah, that becomes a comparable immediately for me for power. I think Darlene's a little different uh, just because he, I think this was year five for him. Mm-hmm. And he said two, two really good years in a row. Like I don't remember if he was actually at a point per game last year or just below it. I think uh, without looking up, I think he was second in defenseman points to Carlson, but I could be mistaken about that. But anyway, he had, he had a great season and he's, when he has not been coached by Ralph Kruger, he's been pretty great. <laughs> um, so I, it's we actually talked about this in our pod recently. It's There's a weird thing with defensemen where the highest paid ones and the best ones, they're not – it doesn't match up if you look at it. You have the, the guys that signed a while ago and Carlson and Dowdy, and you, they thought they were resetting the market. They made 11 and a half and 11 AAVs respectively, and then they didn't reset the market at all because I think those are kind of both looked as bad contracts immediately. So like Makar – doesn't make nearly enough. I think McCarr makes nine million exactly, or maybe just under nine million. Uh, Adam Fox signed for a bargain in New York. Then you have these other guys that make almost as much money as them. They're right in the same range, and they're not nearly as good. Uh, I think Warensky is up there. Warensky might be the third highest paid uh, at the moment, and uh, I think Seth Jones is an example. Darnell Nurse, guys who are like pretty good, but like. Wow, how are they making as much money as McCarr and Fox and McAvoy is another good example? So I think it's going to look weird if all of a sudden Darlene's the third highest paid defenseman and he gets paid more than those guys who have Norris's like Fox and McCarr. Uh, but the rumor is that it's going to be between 10 and 10 and a half. So I don't know if that if Sanderson changes anything. And I actually think it seems like they may have actually already agreed to the contract and they're just waiting for him to get here for training camp to announce it, do a whole press conference and all that. But yeah, I, th- I think Sanderson and Power probably, maybe Power's agent looks at that as kind of a baseline. Hmm. Right, and given that Buffalo still has quite a bit of cap space left, that shouldn't cause any problems. Yeah, not yet. These aren't the ones that will. We'll see what happens when they have to pay everyone else in a few years. Okay. <laughs> so, moving away from the defense, let's talk about a couple of forwards here. Well, the big name for me last year was Tage Thompson, and for a guy who was... I want to say kind of a throw-in in the Ryan O'Reilly deal a few years ago. I can't think of the last time a Buffalo Sabre has really come out of nowhere and exploded the way he has. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy, to say the least. Uh, that O'Reilly trade, it was it was such a disaster, so it seemed for a little while. And obviously, I'm sure St. Louis has no regrets. But they, the Sabres wanted Robert Thomas more than anyone. And then I forgot who their second choice was that they wanted in the trade that St. Louis wouldn't budge on. And weird thing, it's not proven or anything, but people think that uh, Sabres owner Terry Pagula kind of forced the trade to happen by a certain date, which I think was July 1st, 2018, because he didn't want to have to pay power or power O'Reilly's bonus. So the trade kind of was rushed and they got Thompson, which I think was their third choice of prospects. uh, And they got, Vlad Sabaka, Patrick Berglund, and a first-round pick. So not a lot of great stuff going on. And then with St. Louis winning the Cup, that was obviously 31st pick at that time. So that wasn't great. But it, it was – the Tage part was weird because Tage came – he made the NHL the first year. 
they had a nice start and they really fell apart and Paige was kind of all over the place. And then he went to Rochester and his numbers were not that impressive. The next year, like he gets hurt only plays like one period in the NHL all year and then comes back again during the, um, that season I mentioned before that weird 2021 season, he was actually on the taxi squad to start the year. And if you look at that Sabres lineup, some of the Fords that started over him, it was crazy. Uh, he was solid at the end of that year, but to your point to come out of nowhere like that, I, I honestly, I don't know how many NHL players in general have. I know he was a first round pick and he was well thought of for a while, but he was basically, he was so bad that the worst team in the NHL didn't want to pay, play him at all. And then he had 38 and 47 goals in the next two seasons. And it might've just been as simple as switching him to center, like big guy. He has room to operate and, yeah, it's it's insane. I really don't know what to say about it. It's it's the most I think he had the most points or second most points the Sabres had uh in the 21st century and the most goals since I think LaFontaine and McGillney in 93. Wow. It's it's, it's it was a pretty wild year. I I can't say I was expecting it. Well, given that So is it fair to call Ralph Kruger a hockey terrorist? Yeah, I think so. And it, yeah, it, it, it's crazy because I, I didn't even mention Jeff Skinner, but yeah, Jeff Skinner turned into uh, just a totally unproductive player under him, <laughs> like getting healthy, scratched, playing on the fourth line. And you, if you look at every Jeff Skinner besides those Ralph Kruger years, it's it's pretty good. So that's Darlene Skinner and Tage. It's it's insane. Well, with Tage Tonkin scoring forty seven last year, is it? reasonable or realistic for him to hit 50 this year. Yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, I I don't think I'd bet on it, but he getting 47 last year, he missed a handful of games and he actually played hurt during the second half of the season for a little while when they were trying to get a playoff spot. So he was on pace for 50 for a good while. So I think it's it's a definite possibility and a nice goal. I think if I were handicapping it, I would probably put it in like the low to mid 40s, which would be great and try to get up to near 100 points. Uh, he obviously has great line mates, so it's that helps out a lot. Well, especially playing with a guy like Dylan Cousins, right? Who had a big breakout year for the Sabres. Yeah, Cousins, yeah. He, Cousins had a really nice year. I think a lot of people were kind of skeptical that he got that contract uh, where he's paid over $7 million a year. But honestly, from an offensive perspective, he's been – he's a really good second-line center. He – he, I think, jumped up to 30 goals this year. He plays tough. He basically does everything right on the offensive side of the ice. And he has all the skills to have a 200-foot game and the right attitude and makeup, I think, to play a good 200-foot game. It hasn't really come together yet. On the other hand, it's he's only going to be 22. So, or he is 22, I should say. Uh, he So he has a lot of time to to make it come together. But it's, it's definitely something where he kind of has to make that happen because they have Tage as the one C and he's not great in his own zone. They kind of need to have cousins have another, a different kind of breakout this year, even if his production stays the same, just to be a better defensive player as well. Buffalo really has been one of these teams that I've just been so fascinated about over the last couple of years, especially when you see Tage Thompson and Dylan cousins and these guys really develop for a team that. I mean, the culture of the Sabres for so long was so bad. Like, what has been the big thing that you've noticed being a Sabres fan in terms of their culture that has helped these guys really develop? I think someone who deserves a lot of credit is Kyle Oposo, uh, because he came here 
hoping to be a star player and had like a pretty horrific concussion his first year. And there was a whole crazy saga with that it really changed his life. And he, he reinvented himself as a good fourth liner, but also as like a great culture guy. And it was a time when, especially two or three years ago, there was a lot of turmoil and a lot of things were going to change again. And it's, it's so easy when, especially when you're flipping through guys so fast for rookies to not get the proper guidance or veterans to come in and immediately be like, this situation sucks. I don't like this. And I think when there was a void left by Eichel, um, Eichel leaving and Reinhardt getting traded and Ristolainen and all that, that Oposo filled it pretty easily as a leader. And that, that that's step one. Kevin Adams has been pretty good about trying to bring in guys who fit with the culture. And another big thing is Don Granado as coach taking over for Kruger. He, I think immediately was better at listening to his players at understanding them as humans and trying to play to their strengths. And that's all been great for, for the culture. Do you feel that a lack of meddling by Terry Bagula has also helped with that culture too? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I think even though he's been pretty I don't know, all over the place as both Sabres and Bill's owner, he, they've, they've tried the, the Pagulas in general have tried to hire people and let the hockey people be hockey people. And that hasn't always worked out. I mean, it hadn't worked out until now. Like they kept Regeer on, they hired Tim Murray and they hired Jason Botchel and it was a disaster. So they, I think it was just a matter of finding the right person, which kind of against all odds, they, there were actually a lot of compelling reasons to hire Murray and Botchel. They were successful assistant GMs. Kevin Adams was running like youth hockey. He had never <laughs> done anything like it before and they just liked him. And it's crazy. That's that's actually really luck. That's more so than anything. But yeah, they they've definitely let let him just run the hockey side. What is your what has been your overall thoughts on Pagula as the owner of the Sabers? I mean, not great. <laughs> they made the playoffs. He bought him in like spring of 2011, and they made the playoffs that year. But yeah, since then he hasn't made the playoffs. Hasn't made the right hires, and I think. There, either there's been a lot to be desired in terms of everything else. That's not even just the on ice product. Uh, the arena, for example, I think there's the arena could use a lot more upkeep and maybe some modernization. Uh, the they've gotten a lot better with their social media and game day presentation stuff like that. But they've also pretty much since 2020 have been big on shedding staff and in all their different areas. So they dissolved their one Buffalo uh, thing that they had between the Bills and Sabers. Uh, and they they've kind of shed a lot of things actually in the past three or four years, but they in general, I I can't say they've done a good job being stewards of this franchise. Like they had their previous owner Tom Golisano, he kind of saved the Sabers. He doesn't really get that credit for some reason. People kind of assign that to p- the Pagulas because they bought the Bills and prevented the Bills from moving, but. The Sabres were in real danger of moving 20 years ago because the previous, previous owners, the Registas, uh, the owners of Adelphia, father and three sons, were going to prison. They, were, they had committed like felonies. And I think Golisano saving the team, yeah, that kind of gets overlooked because Pagula bought it and threw some money around like 12 years ago. But I I think it's, it's a results business and he hasn't gotten good results. And I don't know. I, I I sometimes questioned how much he still cared about the Sabres. He doesn't live in Buffalo or anything. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, with with the easiest way to put it is 
when you own a team, it all that matters is the success. People forgive a lot of things if you're successful. And there's a whole thing today I should mention. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard about it or not, but it was with the NFL being sued that he allegedly made like a pretty insensitive comment about um, black players looking uh, – to make changes in the NFL back in 2020. And that's, I should mention that because it was, it was big news today. There's been a lot of moments like that where he opens his mouth and you're like, man, what are you talking about? Why, why are you even talking? Cause it's gotten to the point where like, they don't like have him talk in public. He doesn't really do press conferences. He doesn't come to the game and like, you know, get on the mic and talk. It's cause it's just, it's uh it's pretty bad every time he opens his mouth. Well, do you feel with Dan Snyder no longer owning an NFL team that, the NFL needs a train wreck in Bagula with that. <laughs> that? Uh, he, I don't know who the NFL's um, Snyder replacement is. I think Pagula kind of on, on one hand is too, uh, I don't want to say competent. I mean, they've done an okay job with the bills, but he's kind of a dull guy and he is kind of in the background where Snyder just seemed to be actively, uh, committing committing crimes, uh, breaking NFL rules, pissing everyone off, just doing basically every bad thing. We're also running a terrible organization that no one respected and was a constant embarrassment. I think, in general, with Pagula, like I mean, he annoys a lot of people when he talks. But like I said, it's not that often. He lives in Florida. He goes to games, but he doesn't make himself very present to the general public at those games. And as far as you know, Kim Pagula technically being the co-owner, she's because of her medical. Uh, episode uh, like 18 months ago or whatever that was, she has barely been around at all. Hasn't spoken publicly at all since and, and until training camp for the bills this year hasn't, wasn't ever, ever in public or was never seen in public at the very least. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's quite that bad, but it's, there's moments with the Sabres when I, uh, I thought this guy was the worst owner in sports, but I think there's a couple examples you could think of that are probably worse. Not sure who it is in the NFL right now though. Can't say. Yeah. I was thinking of, I don't know who I would say like maybe, Jimmy Haslam in Cleveland. I would say yeah, that's a good one. I, I don't want to say Jerry Jones because at least he has a dynasty behind him. But yeah, he where Dan Snyder takes a lot of inspiration. Now, I, I did make a comment here a few months ago on our show about Terry Bagula owning the Sabres. And I want to get your take on this. I want to get you to know if I'm off base with this. And I said, Bagula owning the Sabres, he may not understand fully what he's doing, but he's not delusional. Am I off base for saying that? Yeah. Um. No, I think mostly he's not. There is the famous clip of when they signed Taylor Hall. He said that make him that makes some cup contenders. Um. But no, I think especially when it comes to the finances, he's uh, very practical. But when it comes to hockey, I think you know giving Kevin Adams the reins, allowing a rebuild the Eichel trade in 2021, all that was kind of a very realistic like here's what we got to do right now thing and listening to Adams in that kind of showed that he like was like, okay, we really, we do have to fix all this and it is going to unfortunately be another few years. So yeah, I, I can see that. I don't know if he's, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's super delusional or anything. No, I don't think he's delusional when it comes to just how bad the Sabres really were, but you did make a comment here about the energy that he's focusing on with the bills. Do you think that because the bills are now our Super Bowl contenders that he wants that as well for the Sabres? Oh yeah. I mean, the thing with him is he kind of, he, I shouldn't say grew up as a Sabres fan, but the Sabres moved to Buffalo when he was in, or not moved to Buffalo. They became a franchise uh, when he was in college. So as a young man, he had a big affinity for the Sabres and he grew up as a baseball fan. So he had really nothing 
as far as uh like affinity for the bills like he I, I think he did that as a prudent investment it also kept the team here and he emerged as the you know the uh the guy that was most likely to buy the team back 10 years ago when that was happening uh so i think with the sabers his first press conference with the team he said their sole reason for existence was to win the stanley cup and i know that's not really true because they're all other reason for existence is to make money you know he didn't pay for them just to lose money every year i'm sure but he i think yeah i think a saber stanley cup would mean a lot more to him from an emotional perspective than a uh a bill super bowl yeah well the way that josh allen played last night <laughs> yeah i yeah it's tough <laughs> okay yeah. i i almost was like oh super bowl contender that that might be nice after uh the way things went this week yeah hey at least we're not the jets yeah i've been saying that for 10 years <laughs> yeah. i mean i can't really talk as you can see i mean i we have our super bowl we might oh have yeah two, but that's not the point but yeah here's what it is now almost <laughs> Almost, almost two Super Bowls. I know, I know. Now we're talking about the Sabers. The one, the last thing I actually do want to talk about is their goaltending because, like you said, the Sabers were running with four goalies, including Craig Anderson, who won his final game of the Sabers and final game of the NHL last year against Ottawa. Coming into this year, given that Devin Levy is there and UPL is there, how do you see this playing out? Do you see them playing as a tandem, or do you see one playing over the other? Yeah, I've been thinking about this basically since it became clear they weren't going to bring in another goalie. I have a hard time seeing how this is going to work out because it's worth noting that Eric Comrie is here too. And they showed last year they weren't afraid to carry three goalies. So I actually don't know who I, – I know since they have so much faith in Levi and he's been such a good prospect, all that stuff, that I assume he's going to get a lot of run in the NHL. I don't know what to think about if UPL or Comrie should be there with them. I think Comrie had a really terrible year last year, but UPL was almost as bad. So I, I, I don't see anyone playing like 50 games. I would say, I imagine we're going to see all three of them at one time or another. And I think when it comes to like someone who becomes a dominant starter, maybe it's wishful thinking, but like Levi is the guy that has the best pedigree. I know he wasn't that high of a draft pick. I think he was a seventh round pick, but he was so unbelievable in college. And the stat that really gives me a lot of faith in him is that there has only been, he was one of four goalies to have as good of a save percentage as he did. I think it was two years ago. And the other ones were Jimmy Howard, Ryan Miller and Connor Hellebuck. So it's good company to be in, but can he do that when you're, he's 21. Can he do that this year? It's, it's just not common. I mean, if if Sabres fans are Ryan Miller examples right there, Ryan Miller was 25. In 0506 when he played his first full season, and he had his struggles when he first came up uh, the first couple times. He actually had to get sent back down to Rochester after they had tried to give him a full-time job. So I I don't know how this is going to break down, but there's some small chance out there that Levi takes the reins. I think there's a better chance that they kind of have to go back and forth with all three guys. Well, at this point, I mean, like you said, with how bad UPL and Eric Henry played, is it essentially Devin Levi's job to lose at this point? that's a good question i don't know and i don't know if kevin adams has been very clear about that uh i don't see how any of them have really earned anything even though levi was really impressive in his uh stint at the end of last season it's it's hard to just say like hey it's your job now kid but on the other hand it's like neither upl nor Comrie has actually ever 
been a starter. They never played a full season. I don't think either of them ever actually have started 30 games in an NHL season before. So to answer your question, I think that's totally up in the air. And it totally depends on training camp preseason and kind of how they look early on. I imagine their mind isn't going to be made up on that right away. But I suppose there's a chance that they just decide they want to roll with UPL and Levi and just kind of do with that. UPL is still young enough. He could get better too. I, sh- I guess I should say I shouldn't be too down on him. He's he's still relatively young, probably played in the NHL before he should have uh, because of need, basically. So I think he there's still a chance that he's good. So maybe, maybe it's him. So Tim, do you have any more questions you want to ask before we head it off into the close? No, I think we're good. Okay. Actually, one final thing I want to ask. How excited are you for the return of the Goathead for this season? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm actually very excited because so they had last year when they reintroduced it, um, they actually had a stunningly good record with it, like kind of an impossibly good record and averaged, I think, over five goals a game wearing the gold heads, uh, which was fantastic. And uh, I think they lost one and had one overtime loss. They were like 10, one and one or something crazy like that with goat heads. So they're, they're wearing them 15 times this year. So hopefully they keep up that magic. It, there's a great Rasmus Dahlin quote where he said they feel evil when they, they wear those jerseys. Um, and even though the actual goat head era was pretty short lived, it was, I think 10 years or just under 10 years. Uh, it's what I remember growing up. So it's the first Jersey I remember. So there's a pl- special place in my heart for it. And I like it as a having it around as a third Jersey. Do you believe that there's a legit argument that you can make that the goat head is even more iconic than the Royal blue and gold Jersey for the Sabres? Uh, it really depends on your, your era. Uh, and I, and I think a lot of it is uh, the success you have when you wear it. Uh, the goat head had a lot of fun seasons, like the late nineties were wild. Oh, five Oh six. Uh, but people remember the slug fondly because they won the president's trophy wearing the slug uniform. And I think people that are older than, I don't know, let's say 40, uh, have a lot of reverence for just the classic uniform because probably their best decade was nineteen the 1970s. That, that was probably the best version of the Sabres. So, Taylor, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to do this segment with us tonight. Now, before we head off into the close, where can our listeners find you and your co-host on social media, and where can they find Straight Up Sabres? Oh, yeah, so Straight Up Sabres, we're on instagram twitter and facebook so if you have any of those check us out it's just straight up sabers and yeah you can find me i'm my uh handle is at night 93 on twitter i should look up brendan's really quick i don't know it offhand just one second but yeah you find us there uh we post a lot on twitter we we generally post our episodes on instagram we're not as active on facebook if you try to find us there but we do post stuff occasionally if that's the the main site that you use uh, and then you can find, like I said, I'm at Nagarly93. Brendan is at Brendan underscore ORR14. So Brendan underscore OR14. And the final question, and we're asking every person who do these segments with us, coming in at the end of this season, 2023-2024, how do you see your team finishing in the Atlantic? Fifth. Really? Okay. Yep. I I haven't given it too much more thought yet, but uh, – my general thought has been fifth with a wild card spot. Oh, so you're saying three out of Metro. Yeah, but I mean, I'm kind of unsure on that, but that's what I'm, I've been thinking. That's in wishful thinking the Sabres could get to fourth. We'll see. We'll see what kind of year Sergei Bravrovsky has, I guess. I think the real question for me is 
does Buffalo make it over Detroit? Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. I so I right now I have it pegged that way, but I think the me saying that it could be fifth, Detroit could pass them. Uh, obviously, the Sabres only one point behind Florida last year when a lot of things went wrong for Florida, so I, they could they could theoretically be better than Florida. Definitely, the interesting one to keep an eye on, I guess, if the most optimistic one would be that the Sabres were only seven points behind Tampa Bay last year. They're not getting any younger. So that was that kind of surprised me by the end of the year. They were that close. So I don't know. I'm still saying fifth for now, but fourth is a very distinct possibility. Hey guys, this is Ian Mendes from The Athletic, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. A big thank you to John Hill, Noel Wilson, Brett Howard, Jake Rivard, and Taylor Nigrelli for taking time out of their schedules to join Tim and I for our 2023-2024 season preview show for the american episode i hope you guys really enjoyed it because believe me tim and i love recording it for you and you can find the show on itunes soundcloud google play and spotify as well as you can find us on all social media platforms at third line plug you can find me on all of them at great white gipster g-r-o-8-w-i-t-e gipster as well as tim you can find him on twitter at m901 honey badger Until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson, and we'll see you next time.